Well, hello there, and welcome to Pick 6 Movies, where each and every season, we pick six different movies that fall under a single common theme. In this case, you have found yourself at Season 13, Bonds, James Bonds. That's right, it's a season featuring one movie from each and every guy who ever played James Bond. But, but, not only do we have a bunch of movies built around a central theme, we're going to tell you a little bit about how, when, where, and why all of these movies got made. And, folks, on top of that, with no extra charge to you, the valuable podcast listening consumer, you're going to get a whole big discussion of the movie with me and Chad making up silly voices and goofing on the movie. It's quite a good time. This time around, we're taking a look at 1989's License to Kill featuring Timothy Dalton. Also, it has Robert Davi and an iguana or something. But why engage in reptile speculation when we got Chad with a whole introduction right around the corner? So, so kick back and relax, but mind the ejector seat, and let Chad take it away. There are three types of people in the world. Those that love the Three Stooges, those that hate the Three Stooges, and those that have never heard of the Three Stooges. Now, unless you're part of that first group, the name Ted Healy may not mean all that much to you, but he was instrumental in creating one of the most iconic physical comedy trios of all time. Way back in 1912, Ernest Lee Nash, well, he changed his name to Ted Healy so he could make it in show business. And along with his childhood friend, Harry Moses Horowitz, they joined a vaudeville act. They found some limited success, but eventually went their separate ways. And at this time, Healy developed his own act, and it was a hit. This led to him evolving his role as the master of ceremonies for the larger vaudeville troupe, and as they grew, they needed new members to join the show. Healy reached out to his childhood friend, Harry Moses, who was looking for work, and Healy cast his friend to be a stooge for the vaudeville act. Now, a stooge was a person in the audience who was called on stage to be part of the act, and Harry Moses Horowitz, he fit right in, and he too changed his name to Mo Howard, and then Mo brought in his brother, Shemp Howard, to join the act. Then a couple of years later, a performer named Larry Fine, well, he joined the act. Mo, Shemp, and Larry, the original Three Stooges. This all led to black and white slapstick comedy gold, or intolerable nonsense if you're the wife of most men. Ted Healy's career continued to flourish, and he got married to a woman named Betty, twice. Well, actually, he married two separate women named Betty. But one of those women he married twice. He he married Betty number one, then they got divorced. Then he married Betty number two, and they got divorced. Then Ted Healy and Betty number two, they got back together, and they remarried. So technically, they were married twice. So actually, he married a woman named Betty three times. But the math is a little too complicated for me. Let, let's get back to our story. Now, according to E.J. Fleming's book, The Fixers, by 1937, Healy's career mm, wasn't going so good. He was a little down on his luck. He'd fallen on some hard times. He was out of money. He was drinking a lot of booze. And on December 17th, Betty, the second Betty, well, she gave birth to their son. Then a few nights later on December 21st, Healy went out to celebrate drinking alone, you know, the way bankrupt alcoholics do. Healy visited a string of 
the bars and he ended up at the Cafe Trocadero where he got into a drunken altercation with three young men. This all tracked so far. Words were exchanged and Healy got punched in the head by one of the three young men. Now the people running the bar told Healy and his assaulters to take it outside, which they respectfully did. Now as Healy exited the building, one of the three men grabbed the drunken Healy from behind while the other two, allegedly, took turns beating the hell out of Healy. The three men returned to the bar to celebrate their beating of a drunken, middle-aged, possibly proud new father and left Healy lying unconscious in a pool of blood that most certainly exceeded the alcohol content levels that allowed one to legally operate a motor vehicle. Healy was collected from the Trocadero parking lot and somehow made his way home where he died the next day from very apparent head wounds. Now, the Los Angeles Times reported that Healy had gotten into a fight with a wealthy New Yorker and an actor of some notoriety, and that this fight was what led to Healy's death. However, the coroner examination ascribed Healy's death to natural causes and not getting his ass beaten up in a golden era Hollywood nightclub parking lot. But supposedly, all of this was really just a cover-up because the actor of some notoriety, well, it turns out it was reportedly Academy Award-nominated actor Wallace Beery. Now, one of the other men who, allegedly, beat Healy that night, well, he was a local mob figure named Pat DeChico, who would go on to marry Gloria Vanderbilt, who would go on to have a baby that would later go on to grow up to be CNN's own Anderson Cooper. But I digress. Now, the third person in that parking lot was local mob figure Pat DeChico's cousin. He was a 29-year-old young man by the name of Albert Cubby Broccoli, a man whose name has appeared in front of every single James Bond movie made by EM Productions over the last 60 years. Albert Romolo Brock was born in Queens, New York City in 1909. His cousin, local mob figure Pat Chico, called Albert Kabibble, a name that was lifted from a comic strip that evolved into Kribibi, which eventually became Cubby, a nickname that Broccoli embraced really ever since his youth. When Cubby Broccoli was a boy, he read about Charles Lindbergh's attempt to cross the Atlantic Ocean flying solo. And on May 20, 1927, Cubby Broccoli sat on a tractor amongst his father's farm, and off in the distance, he actually saw Lindbergh's plane flying overhead, the spirit of St. Louis, and he was so close to the plane that he could see Lindbergh in the cockpit. Cubby waved and Lindbergh waved back. Cubby Broccoli looked back on this moment of his youth and he reflected, imagine the guts of that guy. And perhaps it was partially fated that the young, wide-eyed child of an immigrant farmer would have the fortitude to go on to found one of the longest-running movie franchises in film history. Cubby Broccoli's cousin, Pat, he left Long Island and he headed out to Hollywood and he married the silent film star, Thelma Todd. And Cubby decided he would follow and seek his fame and fortune out west. Cubby Broccoli found himself one evening in the Colony Club waiting for his cousin, Pat, and he's sitting at the bar and he was spinning a silver dollar. And this fellow at the bar comes up and says heads or tails and cubby broccoli says heads guess what it was tails and the guy took the silver dollar he looked at young cubby broccoli and he said again and within 60 seconds cubby broccoli lost three silver dollars to this stranger now to save cubby from even more financial ruin pat showed up cubby walked away from the bar and took a seat next to pat and the stranger came over to them now pat knew the stranger and he immediately said hey i want you to meet my cousin cubby say hello to howard hughes and that was how Cubby Broccoli met Howard Hughes. And it was really his introduction into the world of Hollywood. There were a few odd jobs here and there that allowed Cubby Broccoli to get some experience in the film industry. But by the time the U.S. entered 
World War II, Cubby Broccoli proved himself talented enough to achieve an assistant director level status on the film set of Howard Hughes' The Outlaw. Now, this job required Cubby to escort the film star, Jane Russell, to the filming location in Flagstaff, Arizona, and he had to wrangle a bunch of extras. It wasn't too glamorous of a job, but still, it's an assistant director credit. Broccoli went on to serve in the U.S. Navy during World War II, where he used his talent and connections to get stars like Bob Hope and Bing Crosby, Danny Kaye, Dinah Shore. They all performed for servicemen and eventually got him promoted in the military. After World War II, Broccoli worked with Hughes for another year, and then he went on to work as a theatrical agent. But it wasn't until he was in his 40s that he got the idea that would make him a bona fide film producer. In 1950, Cubby Broccoli moved to London due to subsidies for film production by the British government. Broccoli and his partner, Irving Allen, they formed Warwick Films, which made a catalog of movies for Columbia Pictures throughout the 50s. Now, as the 50s drew to a close, Broccoli became interested in bringing Ian Fleming's James Bond novels to the big screen. But the rights were in the hands of a Canadian producer, Harry Saltzman, who had some experience with stage productions and he was looking to make it big in the movies. Broccoli had a mutual friend who introduced the two and Saltzman refused to sell the rights to Brock, but Saltzman said, here's what I will do. Let's partner together and co-produce these films. The two formed Eon Productions and its parent holding company, Dan Jack LLC, which was named after each of their wives, Dana and Jacqueline. Saltzman and Broccoli produced the first James Bond film, Dr. No, in 1962, with Sean Connery starring as James Bond. Broccoli said that he first took notice of Connery in the Walt Disney production, Darby O'Gills and the Little People, where Connery beats up the village bully. After Broccoli's wife Dana confirmed that Connery did have some real sex appeal to her husband, Broccoli felt that this might be their guy to bring James Bond to the big screen. Now, the success of Dr. No led to a follow-up James Bond film from Russia with Love, which was an even bigger success than Dr. No. It had a bigger budget and had a bigger scope, and it was this big screen action-packed spy thriller. Larger cast meant more stunts, grander special effects. They expanded to new exotic locations, and this really became a staple in the James Bond film. Broccoli also adapted the Ian Fleming children's book Chitty Chitty Bang Bang for the silver screen in 1968, a film that continues to haunt the dreams of children to this very day. Now, after terrifying small children worldwide with that film, Broccoli turned his attention 100% back to the James Bond film series, while Saltzman decided to expand his interest and pursue other film projects. Now, this led to some friction between Broccoli and Saltzman, ultimately leading Saltzman to exit the partnership. So Broccoli and Saltzman decided that they were going to dissolve Dan Jack, but Broccoli allegedly later refused to honor the agreement. By 78, Saltzman was on a financial pinch and he wanted to sell his rights to Paramount, but ultimately his 50% stake landed in the hands of United Artists. With Saltzman out of the picture, Broccoli kept the Bond franchise going full steam ahead. Transitions from Sean Connery to George Lazenby, then back to Sean Connery. Well, they all went off with their ups and their downs as the film franchise navigated the 1960s and into the 1970s. But audiences were still eager to see new adventures of the world's most famous spy. Enter Roger Moore, who reportedly was eyed as a potential actor to play James Bond since the inception of the series. Moore stepped in and played James Bond in seven Ian-produced 007 motion pictures, the final being a view to a kill, which didn't really do as well at the box office as they had hoped. And critically, it was kind of a disaster. Most notably because Roger Moore was pushing 60 years old, and it was uncomfortable to watch this old man make bedroom eyes at 20-year-old girls. So the time came to cast a new James Bond. 
and to select who would be the next 007 would, of course, be members of Cubby Broccoli's family. Broccoli was married three times, the last of which was to Dana Wilson, with whom they had a daughter, Barbara, who was raised alongside Wilson's teenage son from a previous marriage, Michael G. Wilson. Now, these two were raised on James Bond, and not just hanging around on the set watching their dad produce these spy movies, they were in the middle of everything, getting first-hand experience in the family business. Broccoli had another daughter, Tina, who worked in the art department, and his son, Tony, was a co-location manager, traveling to find new exotic locales for James Bond to explore. But it was really daughter Barbara Broccoli who most followed her father's lead, co-producing every James Bond film made since GoldenEye in 1996. Stepson Michael Wilson, he worked his way up through the company, starting out with the international legal team, and then he was an assistant to his stepdad, Cubby Broccoli, on the film The Spy Who Loved Me. He eventually landed the title of executive producer on Moonraker, and about this time, Wilson started collaborating with screenwriter Richard Maibaum, and the two are credited for the screenplays of For Your Eyes Only, Octopussy, and A View to a Kill, all starring Roger Moore, who was leaving the franchise because, as earlier noted, that last movie was kind of a stinker. So with Roger Moore fired, I mean retiring from the role, the hunt was on again to find ourselves a new James Bond. Producers were looking for the right actor to play Bond in the newest entry of the film series. Now, reportedly, there were talks to make a prequel to the Connery Bond films, and Cubby Broccoli, he liked the original script, but he didn't think it was the right move, because nobody really wants to see a 20-year-old James Bond having sex with other women in their 20s. That's the job for middle-aged men to do. Now, one aspect of the script that did stick around was bringing back the Soviet assassination organization, Smirsh which was featured in the novels Casino Royale and From Russia With Love. The screenplay was to be tied somewhat to the Fleming short story The Living Daylights, where, at the start of the film, James Bond is a sniper who protects a Soviet defector, and the rest of the movie's plot stems from there. Maibaum and Wilson did that thing they do, and they cranked out a James Bond movie script, and so the search began for the new face of the James Bond movie franchise. Now, multiple actors were considered, including Australian actors Andrew Clark and Finlay Light, Brian Brown, who I know from those FX movies, he was considered. Uh, reportedly, the financial backers of the movie wanted Mel Gibson. Now, keep in mind, this is pre-lethal weapon Mel Gibson and post-Mad Max 2 Mel Gibson and his star power was rising but not full-blown box office gold as it once was. Producers also took a look at future dinosaur expert and New Zealand's own Sam Neill to play 007 but passed. Irish-born Pierce Brosnan. He was currently starring in the NBC television show Remington Steel. Well, he was considered and he ran a few screen tests and they also looked at a Welsh-born actor named Timothy Dalton. Dana Broccoli, wife of Cubby, she was the one who initially suggested Timothy Dalton as a possible Bond replacement. But this replacement actually goes way back when Connery left the series. Now at that time, producers felt that Dalton was too young to play Bond, which opened the door for George Lazenby's Bondtastic performance as 007. Plus, Cubby Broccoli wasn't really that excited about Dalton playing Bond because Dalton really didn't show the excitement that he expected for someone taking on such an iconic role. At the time, Dalton had had a lengthy resume of stage acting, TV, and film work, including roles in The Lion in Winter, Jane Eyre, and the Flash Gordon movie. Guess which one of those I've seen? 
Now, after multiple screen tests of different actors, producers decided to offer the role to Pierce Brosnan. Now, when this was unofficially announced, the interest in the TV show Remington Steel went through the roof. And NBC said, whoa, 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 wait, we're going to make a whole bunch of other episodes of Remington Steel. You can't leave now. So Pierce Brosnan was contractually obligated to stick around and make more episodes of Remington Steel. So the film producers, well, they didn't want their James Bond to be associated with this crummy TV show. So Pierce Brosnan, no James Bond for you. Better luck next time. <laughs> Since Brosnan wasn't going to be James Bond, NBC said, eh, we're only going to make like half a season of shows and then we're going to cancel it. See you later. <laughs> now, before all of this Pierce Brosnan unpleasant drama unfolded, Timothy Dalton was still really being considered to play James Bond. But then Dalton was cast in the Brooke Shields film adaptation of nobody's favorite newspaper comic strip, Ace Reporter Brenda Starr which made Dalton unavailable to be the top choice to take over for Roger Moore. Then after all of that Pierce Brosnan unpleasantry unfolded, Dalton was done making Brenda Starr, and so producers offered him the role, and he somewhat reluctantly said yes. The 15th Bond film was to be directed by John Glenn, and this would turn out to be the fourth of his five Bond films where he served as director. And this Bond film would be a family affair with Cubby Broccoli and his stepson Michael Wilson and daughter Barbara Broccoli all serving as producers. The plot of The Living Daylights centers around James Bond helping a KGB officer defect during a symphony performance, and the KGB officer later lets it slip that a policy of assassinating defectors was put in place by this new KGB head bad guy. And Bond, he digs into this international intrigue, and then there's a B-plot that involves Joe Don Baker as a shady American arms dealer. And I gotta tell you, this movie is bonkers. It has got wacky spy gadgets, and there is this extended sequence at an airbase in Afghanistan that involves opium smuggling, and honestly, it was really a flip of a coin as to which Dalton Bond movie we were going to do this season. I highly recommend you watch it, because this film really signals a break in the tone of James Bond movies, especially coming off the lecherous interpretation of Bond that was brought unto the world by Roger Moore. And The Living Daylights marked the last Bond film where John Barry lent his talents to the musical score, for which he did on 13 James Bond films. So The Living Daylights comes out, and it's well received by audiences and critics, and it did well enough to make another James Bond movie, because that's what James Bond movies do. So let's get to License to Kill, because, oh baby, this is so good. Now, Dalton's Bond was a much more serious and dramatic James Bond compared to the cheekiness and wrinkled handsiness of Roger Moore. And the filmmakers wanted to keep this serious interpretation of 007 rolling along. Michael Wilson and Richard Maibom, they started spitballing ideas for the next James Bond movie. Maybe it would be set in China and Bond could just run along the Great Wall and blow stuff up and jump off of something and punch a guy and shoot a guy. The, the movie writes itself, but that whole deal fell through, so they went with Plan B. And Plan B was infused with complications related to new laws in the UK that resulted in film production in England to be way cost prohibitive. So EM Productions decided they would not be filming at Pinewood Studios, where some part of every James Bond movie ever made to date had been filmed. So the cast and the crew, they packed all their bags and they headed to Mexico to make the next James Bond movie. And since they were going to be filming in Mexico, it was decided to write a movie where James Bond is in a tropical climate. Wilson and Maibom, they came up with the general outline, and then the Writers Guild of America went on strike, leaving Wilson 
remember, the stepson of Cubby Broccoli, to write the script all on his own. Now, what was produced was a script that lifted elements from various Ian Fleming novels that were overlooked in previous James Bond adaptations, including inspiration from Live and Let Die, that led to a scene where CIA agent Felix Leiter is fed to a shark by a drug kingpin. Just wait, this movie is completely wackadoo cuckoo nuts. The movie's original title was License Revoked, but test audiences in America felt that that sounded like a teenage comedy where 16-year-old Charlie just lost his driver's license, but he's gotta find a way to lose his virginity on prom night, or else he's handing over the pink slip of his dad's Porsche in an ill-conceived bet with the captain of the boys' lacrosse team, who it turns out is dating Charlie's dream girl, Heather Appleburn. Charlie's best friend, Francine Tomboy, she's along for one crazy night where if these two aren't careful, they might end up dead or end up falling in love. <laughs> sorry, sorry. So they changed the name from License Revoked to License to Kill, which is admittedly way more violent, which is good because the movie was a lot more violent than any of the other James Bond movies, and it's the first James Bond movie to receive a PG-13 rating. Arguably, many of the previous 007 films certainly could have been branded with a PG-13 rating. I mean, just based on the title alone, Octopussy. How did that even make its way into theaters? So Wilson said his script was inspired by Kurosawa's Yojimbo, a movie about a samurai that sows the seeds of distrust among two rival gangs in a small village. The same thematic device was noted in a remake of that film known as A Fistful of Dollars, and I'm sure that you immediately thought of each of these two films while you were watching License to Kill. We will happily get into all of this when Bo arrives shortly. Now, License to Kill takes place in the fictional Republic of Isthmus. Re really? That's where this movie takes place? The Republic of Isthmus? Oh my god. The bad guy is a pockmarked leader who uses corruption and political power to facilitate drug trafficking and money laundering, much like General Manuel Noriega. And when the movie came out, it was promoted as being the first Bond film that was torn straight from the headlines of today's newspapers. Well, you know, that's one way to spin lack of originality. I guess saying torn straight from the plot of Lethal Weapon or Beverly Hills Cop or Robocop would solicit legal action. Well played, License to Kill. Well played indeed. So they started shooting this movie in 1988 in Mexico. And at one point they head over to Florida to the Keys to film on the Seven Mile Bridge for this armored car stunt sequence that we will be discussing very shortly. And film producers, they reached out to Eric Clapton and said, hey, would you like to sing the theme song to the next James Bond movie? And Eric Clapton said, no. So they turned to the next logical choice, Gladys Knight sands the pips to sing the title song, License to Kill. The movie hit theaters in the summer of 89, and it turned a couple of nickels profit, but it proved to be the least financially successful James Bond film in the United States, adjusted for inflation. Now, this may be due to the fact that it came out the same year Tim Burton's Batman hit the silver screen, as well as Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade, which starred former Bond Sean Connery. That summer also saw Ghostbusters 2, which is way worse than that Kristen Wiig, Melissa McCarthy Ghostbusters movie. I stand by that. This was also the summer of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and Do the Right Thing and Parents and The Abyss and Uncle Buck and Dead Poet Society. This is a big year for good movies. This was also the year that Lethal Weapon 2 proved that sequels can be better than the original. And in my humble opinion, Lethal Weapon 2 has the greatest opening to any movie ever made. Riggs screaming, punching the inside of that car. Murtaugh driving at high speed in a chase. That's 80s action movie gold. What were we talking about? 
Oh yeah, 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 License to Kill. Okay, so License to Kill comes out and you know how this goes. Some good reviews, some bad reviews. With everybody liking the gritty realism and violent content and a bunch of other people saying it's too gritty and it's too violent. So why didn't Dalton make another Bond movie? Well see, License to Kill comes out and Dalton is actually contractually obligated to make three James Bond movies. And there was even a poster for the 17th Bond movie promoted during the 1990 Cannes Film Festival, but without a title on it. But then in August of 1990, the Sunday Times reported that Albert R. Broccoli, well, he had parted ways with writer Richard Maybaum, who had worked on all of those previous James Bond movies. And it was also a parting of ways with John Glenn, who had directed the most recent series of Bond films. Now, there was a script that had been written by stepson Michael Wilson that pulled together what would feature a terrorist attack on a British nuclear facility in Scotland threatening to cause World War III. Bond would travel to East Asia to investigate a corrupt businessman, and there's a jewel thief named Connie Webb, and Bond fights his former mentor at MI6. This all sounds completely by the books. But we never saw that movie because this project got turned around in development over and over due to legal problems between Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer and United Artists and Cubby Broccoli's company Danjak that owned the Bond film rights. There was a whole bunch of complicated legal goings on that I won't bore you with. But let's jump up to the end of these litigious unpleasantries where the year is 1993 when talks started again to even begin to entertain the idea of that 17th James Bond movie. Cubby Broccoli, he still wanted Timothy Dalton to return to play James Bond, but by this time, Dalton's original seven-year contract had expired, effectively ending back in 1990. Now, during all of the James Bond legal backs and forths, Dalton didn't sit around waiting for another 007 movie to further his career. He worked quite a bit in film and TV and on the stage. Timothy Dalton went on to play Neville Sinclair in the 1991 Disney-produced jetpack-boosted superhero movie The Rocketeer, and Dalton was Rhett Butler in a TV miniseries based on the book Scarlet that was a sequel to the iconic film, as well as the book Gone with the Wind. Now, Dalton didn't totally abandon the spy genre as he went on to play a spoof of the James Bond character with the role Damien Drank in the film Looney Tunes Back in Action, and Dalton played Julius Caesar in the TV film Cleopatra in 1999. Dalton had a successful acting career showing up in the action comedy Hot Fuzz with Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. Dalton was in a couple episodes of Doctor Who. He voiced Mr. Pricklepants in Toy Story 3 and Toy Story 4. He starred in the Irish Republica Army drama The Informant. He was Sir Malcolm Murray over on Showtime's Penny Dreadful. Yes, Timothy Dalton was James Bond, but James Bond was not Timothy Dalton. Dalton is an actor first and foremost. He played the part of James Bond twice, but then he moved on to other opportunities. James Bond did not define Timothy Dalton's career. Instead, James Bond was merely a chapter in a much more robust collection of work spanning multiple decades and multiple genres. And Dalton's performance as Bond was set apart from all of his predecessors. It was a more serious James Bond. It was an intense James Bond. It was a less misogynistic James Bond. Well, slightly less misogynistic. I mean, he's James Bond, for God's sake. He's constantly got a, a bit of a wandering eye and a half-cocked cock in his pants. You know, what are you going to do? But James Bond films always reinvent themselves every time a new actor is cast to play 007. And to his credit, Dalton set the standard for a no-nonsense James Bond that hadn't really appeared on screen since Connery's performance in Dr. No, setting the stage for Daniel Craig's eventual interpretation of James Bond 
as a more realistic, flawed, and tormented version of the iconic spy. Now, as for Albert Cubby Broccoli, License to Kill was the last James Bond movie that he actively produced. In 96, Cubby Broccoli, he died of heart failure at his home in Beverly Hills, and he was 87 years old, and he had undergone a triple heart bypass earlier that same year. Albert Cubby Broccoli, like Lindbergh, he had a lot of guts. He set off on this amazing life that, you know, maybe allegedly um, had him involved with the death of the guy who created the Three Stooges. But he also went on to build a major movie media empire. Heck, in many ways, Cubby Broccoli is as responsible, if not more responsible, for creating the iconic character of James Bond in modern pop culture. And for each James Bond film that his company produced, Broccoli insisted that every 007 film include the name of James Bond's creator, Ian Fleming, in the opening credits, whether or not the movie was based on an original Ian Fleming work of fiction. And similarly, after his death, Cubby Broccoli's family, including his daughter Barbara Broccoli and her stepbrother Michael Michael Wilson, well, they showed the same respect to this iconic film producer. With each James Bond film released after Cubby Broccoli's death, they open with the same line. Albert R. Broccoli's Eon Productions presents just before the title of the film. Whether it was good or bad and everything in between. And that includes License to Kill, perhaps the most unconventional James Bond movie ever made. And by this humble podcaster's opinion, one of the, if not the, worst James Bond movies that I've ever seen. Now, I'm sure you're asking, is there anything redeemable about this movie? What makes it so unconventional? And can it possibly be worse than Moonraker, a film that includes an outer space laser battle and a supervillain falling in love? Well, to answer these questions and many, many more, let's get Bo in here to slap on some Panama Jack sunscreen, slip into our Ray-Bans, and head down to Mexico or wherever it is that this movie takes place as James Bond leaves work for a while and goes on vacation south of the border in License to Kill. Welcome to Pick 6 Movies. I am Chad Cooper, and as always, I am joined by my gun-toting, cocaine-fueled hermano, Senor Borensdale. Never has a description been more apt on this show. The amount of cocaine I've done in preparation for this episode. First of all, I charged it to the show. Sure. Just business expenses. The What I learned, Chad, is that... The one thing that will constantly be on your mind when you're doing cocaine Mm -hmm. is where you might be able to get some more cocaine. Sure. Now, Bo. Yes. I know that you are not a fan of the James Bond movies. Not as such. This is number four of six. So we're over the hump. I'm watching all the Bond movies. You're just Mm -hmm. watching the ones you have to. And I got to tell you, I really feel like my parents caught me in uh, my bedroom with a case of James Bond brand cigarettes. And they said, really, smart guy, smoke them all. And we're going to watch you. And um, (laughs) I got about three packs left and I'm about to vomit, especially having seen License to Kill. Here's the thing. License to Kill, I had never seen before. As most people have not seen this movie. From the synth strains of One Gladys Knight on 
Uh, I was mesmerized. <laughs> By the way, when we, you were talking about Gladys Knight in your intro, the one thing that stuck out to me was I have seen Gladys Knight live and I've never seen Eric Clapton live. I thought you were going to say you've seen her naked. I mean, I, I had the VIP tickets. So <laughs> just say that I was a little backstage bow for that Gladys Knight tour, you know? <laughs> he sprung for the thirty nine ninety nine upgrade. Uh-huh. Gave her a little pip of my own. <laughs> You know what I'm talking about? I do. <laughs> Let's just get into this, because I for, I hate this movie. All right, so here's the crazy thing about it. Here's another thing that uh, I'm spoiling, because it's something we discussed previously. This whole thing is just one big episode of Riptide. Or Simon and Simon. Any 80s era character-driven action hour law. Like Hardcastle and McCormick, heart to heart. Your Misfits of Science, I would argue, falls uh, somewhat into that. Your Remington Steels, perhaps. Anywhere characters are welcome, Chad. That's the kind of show I mean. Monk should have existed in 1987. Yeah, but the Zero Effect hadn't been made into a motion picture for them to rip off, so it couldn't really happen. People ought to see the Zero Effect is the moral of the story. That's a great movie. Yeah, Zero Effect is worthwhile. You know it's not worthwhile? License to Kill. So let's talk about that and end this as quickly as possible, which is, you know, based on our current track record about two hours from now. I, I swear to God, our next season, we cannot be doing two and a half hour movies. This is killing me. You're preaching to the fucking choir. Now, look, I'm, I'm the, the one who chose the stupid season. I'm the one who's like, you know what's a nice 87 minute runtime? All the earnest films. Let's do six of those. Graveyard shift for an entire season. Just every episode. It's We'll call it graveyard shift. It's six movies. It's all graveyard shift. But we're just going to do one movie for a whole season over and over again until we, in theory, get it right or it becomes madness. Yeah. It's like us doing those Medea films, which we've discussed, and we're like, there's no way we're going to do that and not get a whole bunch of hate mail. Even if we don't get the hate mail, like, we got to look ourselves in the mirror, too. <laughs> and I don't know that I could do that after Medea's Boo. That is a movie that is it seems directly made for me to get in trouble talking about it. I was assuming that most of the hate mail would come from ourselves. Dear Bo and Chad, how dare you? Sincerely, Chad and Bo. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, evil Chad. Our movie opens up. We get the left to right white dot dancing across. Mm -hmm. It stops at centers. Bond turns. He shoots. Screen wash red. You know the drill by now. Then our movie starts prop. Except there's a young dude doing it now. <laughs> Where it's like, hey, who's that guy? Who's this handsome young virile fella? That's not James Bond. He, did you see how he raised the gun with one arm as opposed to both and how his knee didn't buckle as it came up? Right. When he drank the water, he actually pulled it all the way to his mouth instead of halfway and then brought his other hand under the bottom of it like a weirdo. In our movie, we see a twin turboprop, Hawkeye, flying over the ocean. And it's a real official looking airplane. Well, it's a, a radar plane. But the radar plane is like this big disc on top and there's propellers on the back and there's streamers off the side. And I think there's like a snow cone machine. There was a lot going on with this plane. So we cut to inside of the plane where there are a bunch of Coast Guard computer operators and they're monitoring radar and weather systems that go bleep blop and bloop bloop. And one of the men sees something on the radar and then the music gets real intense and coordinates get yelled about. And I heard someone say Havana in there somewhere. And then another guy, he draws a line on a map with a red grease pen and a protractor. And then he punctuates it with a big red X and he says he's landing at Cray Key. Right. They're radioing the DEA. Uh-huh. Advise Key West Drug Enforcement. If they hurry, they might be able to get the bastard. 
That's a line of dialogue in this movie, Bo. The dialogue is wretched, cover to cover. <laughs> That's what happens when you get the producer's kid to write the screenplay. And then, and then James Bond, he's in an airplane. Uh, but ja- So it's James Bond, Felix Leiter, and a dude named Sharky who may or may not have appeared in other James Bond movies. No, well, he has not. And in fact, his character is somewhat similar to a character named Quarrel from Dr. No. And then there's another character named Quarrel Jr. that's in Live and Let Die. And both of those characters, they're buddies with Felix Leiter and they own boats and they know people around the island. So I think calling him Quarrel Jr. Jr. would have been a bit ridiculous. So instead they decided to go with the name Shark. Yeah. And our three men, they're riding in the back of this Rolls Royce down the Seven Mile Bridge in the Florida Keys, and that connects Knight's Key uh, in the Middle Keys to Little Duck Key that's in the Lower Keys. And they're all three sitting in the back seat, and they're wearing these extremely formal three-piece suits that are different hues of gray, and they're all holding matching top hats, and they have carnations in their lapels, and they all look as though they're going to some Comic-Con as the Oswald Cobblepot triplets <laughs> yeah and now one of these memo is james bond and we know he's james bond because we saw that guy's face on the movie poster as we walked into the theater and it's timothy dalton and he looks pained in the face to be in this film and he's sitting on the far right and then on the far left is this movie's interpretation of felix Leiter, the cia agent that has shown up in multiple films and in this movie he's played by david hedison this is a role that he had played in roger moore's debut as james bond in live and let die so he's reprising this role and i didn't really recognize him when i saw him at first i thought it was maybe conway twitty and then i was like oh wait no it's regis philbin so we got bond on the right we got felix Leiter on the left and as you said in the middle is sharky who is this great big oversized black guy yeah he's the the chief from last action hero is yeah the one who swears a whole lot but mm. doesn't ever say any profanity and that movie had arnold schwarzenegger in it which is interesting because arnold schwarzenegger was in True Lies and the finale of that film was filmed on the Seven Mile Bridge. Which this also features a chase down the uh, Seven Mile Bridge. Eh, it's a kind of a slow speed drive with a crash but we'll get to that. Yeah. Do you remember in True Lies how Tom Arnold made that movie better? I do not. Like the only thing I remember or remember about True Lies is Jamie Lee Curtis kind of. Doing her sexy dance. Oh I didn't even remember that. That's one of those movies I saw one time and just kind of forgot it. I think we saw it together. You remember that scene where Tom Arnold almost gets his dick shot off? He hides behind a a light pole and then he grabs his dick and he's like, whoo, because he's happy because his penis is still attached. No, I do not remember this. <laughs> Did Tom Arnold ever find those tapes with Trump and those ping hookers or where he was on The Apprentice using racial slurs? Remember he was doing that for Viceland? You ever find those tapes? The last time I saw Tom Arnold was in a movie a couple of years ago called Dead Ant, which was about a, uh, a glam metal band running afoul of some giant ants. And he was kind of the best thing about that movie, which also featured a son of Pick Six movie's favorite jake Busey. you know what the pink panther says when he steps on an ant right i have no idea dead ant dead ant oh dead ant dead ant dead ant dead ant dead ant i'm a dad <laughs> so yeah and, and right away felix Leiter is like james do you have the ring you're out of control and bond is just like don't worry i've got your ring right here i'm sound as a pound 
Uh, I don't even want to be in this movie. Here's your ring. It's right as the mail. He sounds like Wacko Warner if you just woke him up from a nap. And as you said, he seems spectacularly disinterested to be in this movie almost all the time, which is another thing I really like about it because it's the first time I've related to James Bond. <laughs> Where both of us, like both audience and an actor, have made a pact where it's just like, we're just going to get through this, all right? And I'm like, you got it, Timothy Dalton. He's like, all right, it's going to be really dumb. And I'm like, good. Here's something you may not know about me. I hate the Lord of the Rings movies. I went to see it with my wife, the first one, and I just ruined it for her because I was bored and started giggling at stupid shit to entertain myself. And then I went to see the second one because I'm a dutiful husband. And then the third one, I was just out of my mind with boredom. And it wasn't until Samwise at the end of that third movie, I think. And there's that scene where he just looks at Frodo and he's like, look, man, I don't want to be here. I didn't want to go on this journey. I just want to go home. I want this shit to be over. And I just had this moment in the theater. I was like, yeah, I finally found a character I identify with. It's me and Samwise. This shit is awful. I'm just going to go sit in the car. Yeah. So now you know exactly how I felt when I saw the James Bond portrayed in this movie. who's just like, look, we've got about two hours to get through. I'm going to lean my head over here on the window of this Rolls Royce. Will you wake me up in about two hours? So as they're heading to this wedding where Felix is about to get married, a chopper mm-hmm. pulls up beside him with a sign that says, follow me. Dude, it is written in big black Sharpie letters. And for those of you who have never seen this, I want you to imagine the saddest homemade car wash poster board sign that you've seen held up to solicit motorists to come behind a disreputable Burger King to get a subpar car wash for $5. It's less than that. It's some real low rent projected path of Hurricane Dorian to include Alabama type Sharpie work. And once again, being my cipher in the film, James Bond goes, See, what's that about? Are those some friends of yours in the helicopter flying beside us, waving frantically? And Felix, of course, says, Look, it's an old lover. Making one last go of it. Um, But no, really, it's just a (laughs) DEA chopper. It's my partners at the DEA! They're out of control! Then the movie abruptly cuts to some house, maybe in Florida, maybe not. And there's some guy like snoozing on a set of stairs that go to a second floor. And then someone just like snatches some piano wire around this guy's neck. And he's like, he's dead. There's some intercutting here between, yes, there's this raid on this compound. And also Felix and Bond like jumping in this DA chopper to go after Sanchez is who they've got the green light to go after, Chad. Remember that name. It's important. And then Sharky, as they're leaving, is like, hey what am i supposed to tell della who apparently is the woman that felix Leiter is about to marry and uh he's just like i don't know tell her i had to work and then they take off leaving sharky to be like oh man (laughs) the fact that he didn't kick an empty can as they left was a real restraint felix does object at first to bond coming along he's like james I'm out of control. I need you to explain this to Della. And then James like, oh, no way. I'm coming with you. I'm the star of this picture, apparently. So we leave that to go back to our compound. It's not even a compound, man. It's just a house on the beach. But it's a nice house. If that's what you consider to be a compound, okay. <laughs> Anywhere you stockpile weapons, according to the government, Chad, <laughs> is technically a compound. Whoa, you've got a second story? Fancy pants. <laughs> two toilets? Whoa, money bags. <laughs> you've got a two-car car hold? What is that, a working fireplace? Whoa, what'd your dead uncle pass away? Leave you a couple mil? So we cut to this bedroom. 
And yeah. it's like, it's nighttime or maybe it's a daybreak. Who knows? And there's this man and woman, they're sleeping. A couple of thugs show up and I'm guessing that maybe they're the person who killed that guy with the piano wire earlier. So they bust in and they start beating up this guy who's wearing man panties. And then in the bed is a woman. Her name is Lupe as played by Talisa Soto. And she mm-hmm. later went on to play Katana in those Mortal Kombat movies. Princess Katana. Apologies all around. Um... <laughs> We also here we get to meet our movie's bad guy, the aforementioned Sanchez, as played by Robert Davi, who was in too many things to list. He was in all those Maniac Cop movies. and He was the Wishmaster. He was the Wishmaster. He was the flunky brother from the Goonies that wasn't Joey Pants. And we last saw him as Big Al Torres in Showgirls, Season mm-hmm. 6, Episode 6 of Pick 6 Movies. An episode that still gets a lot of traction because people search for the fucked up keywords that we put in there about Big Dick Richie and things like that. So so welcome, perverts. Hey, yeah, you found a home here. Sanchez is not happy to see Lupe in bed naked with that guy who was wearing those man panties. And Sanchez says, what did he promise you? His heart? Give her his heart. And we cut to Sanchez as two henchmen, as played by some guy who don't matter, and a 19-year-old Benicio Del Toro who mm-hmm. pops his arm out, and he go-go gadgets this 18-inch knife from somewhere up his sleeve, and he's Johnny on the spot with a blade. And we're all thinking the same thing. Are they going to cut this guy's heart out of his chest? And they're like, you know, they ripped off Temple of Doom and A View to a Kill, and this movie's got the same screenwriter, so it's not inconceivable that later on in this movie, someone's going to eat chilled monkey brains, Bo. Yeah. Oh, if only, Chad. <laughs> but they do cut out his heart. They ju- they do it off screen, which is unfortunate. How do you know that? I expected to see the heart later, but it doesn't come back. Th- somebody asks him later or mentions it later, they, but they say specifically that the heart was cut out. You, you don't see it. And there's just this one little moment where he's like, yes, give her his heart. And that, I presume, is... What is it? This is all poorly written. And then he just pulls Talisa Soto, aka Lupe, over his knee, uh-huh. like he's gonna give her a, like a grown-up sexy spanking. Mm-hmm. But instead, he gets out like this strap, multiple strap. It's like a cat of three tails. I thought he was holding a lizard upside down by the head and whipping her ass with its tail. For two seconds, I thought it was a dildo. And then I thought it was three dildos. And I was like, hmm, this movie is really good. We lead very different lives, you and I. Ah, uh, you know, I'm a bachelor, Chad. If the cops had interviewed us about this movie, your interpretation was like, I thought it was a dildo. And then I thought it was three dildos. And I'm like... I swear to God, it was a giant lizard. <laughs> so would you say that the dildos were maybe lizard-shaped, Mr. Ransdell? Hmm. Not particularly, but not not lizard-shaped is the weird thing about those dildos, your your honor. He starts whipping her ass a whole bunch, and she's screaming and yelling. And then outside, we kind of quietly hear some guy screaming because his heart is being cut out by a giant knife. And this mm. whole scene feels like a telenovela. It feels cheap. This whole movie feels really cheap. Or it feels like a lot of it's cheap and then other parts they spend a ton of money to just blow things up the stunts look really good and everything else in the movie looks like it was put on by mrs patterson's third grade class i disagree on the stunts i think that the stunts look barely passable and then they just blow a bunch of shit up i think the budget for pyrotechnics explosions and hospital slash burn center bills were off the chart they certainly weren't going deep pocket for the cast we'll get to 
to it in a minute, but when they blow shit up at the end of this, you can watch this and you're just like, the oversight in Mexico of what is allowed to be filmed is non-existent. If you can do it and you can film it, okay, there's no safety control whatsoever. There can't be. The rockets, the shoulder rockets used uh, were real. It was just like, hey, you know, I'm going to tap Jimmy on the head. He's going to blow up that semi with a rocket and (laughs) hopefully we're going to make magic, everybody. (laughs) So enjoy. But yeah, so the DA uh, shows up. One of my favorite scenes in this movie, Chad, because again, I love how stupid this is. Mm -hmm. There is a straight up like slow motion shot of Felix Leiter and his men as they hit the tarmac. I'm out of control. It's the shittiest Michael Bay movie you ever saw. And I loved it. I was like, oh, this scene is out of place. Like it never happens again in the movie. And I don't know what it is we're supposed to be taking from it, but it made me laugh. I like that Felix Leiter is about eight steps behind the DEA agents because he's an old man and he can't keep up with them. Wait up! I'm out of control! I can't run that fast! I'm wearing loafers! I'm also in a tuxedo! I was about to get married! I'm not in my running shoes! During all of this DEA lizard ass-whipping nonsense, we cut back to the church and we see that Sharky is there and he's arrived and there's a bunch of wedding guests and Sharky looks very concerned regarding the whereabouts of Felix Leiter as well as James Bond, you know, the star of our movie who has done nothing so far. And this white limo pulls up and Sharky opens the door and inside is the bride-to-be Della. And I'm guessing maybe her father, he looks kind of grumpy. I'm like, maybe it's her ex-husband. I don't know. I'd be, you know, I'd be down for a tradition where if someone's getting remarried, their ex-husband or ex-wife has to be present to give them away. Just like, here, they're your problem now. What if they're widowers? Then you wheel out their corpse. I'm making sure that we've got consistent rules here is all. (laughs) Sharky peeks in the limo and tells Della, he's not here. Go around the block again. So we cut back to our DEA, what, drug raid? And as you mentioned, Lighter and the D agents, they've run away. And you're like, wait, isn't this a James Bond movie? And you look over and James Bond is just sitting on the open doorframe, just sort of like dangling a gun like, oh, I'm really tired. I don't want to go chase anybody. I'm just going to sit here. Let me know if you need help, fellas. But it needs to be, you know, extreme help. Like, you got to be in a real pickle. I've got a phone here. I'll call somebody. He has somehow found an acoustic guitar in the back of the helicopter and is just just noodling, you know? Not really playing anything, just uh, tinkering with some green sleeves. Do you like classical gas? <laughs> I only know yes, three songs. I know that. And I know La Bamba. And uh, wait a minute, La Bamba is the same as that Beatles song. So I actually know a full song. I could probably pick out Happy Birthday. Is it your birthday today? He's getting married later. I wish I had some snacks. I'm so tired. You know, five-hour energy doesn't really do anything. It's snake oil. They sell it the 7-Eleven. I found that out the hard way. So while he is hanging out in the the helicopter doorway. just Doing nothing. Yeah, but in fairness, Lighter was like, look, James, stay right here. Okay, that sounds like a great plan to me. These shoes are too tight. Here's what I want you to do. Absolutely nothing. I got it. I can handle that. Is there a blanket in the back? Maybe something that you give to people you pick out of the ocean? And a pillow? I'd like to take a nap. Maybe catch 40 winks. I'll take 39. While this is going down, one of Sanchez's Jeeps rolls up and just starts spraying bullets. Yep. You know, just everybody in there just shooting everything up. While they're spraying bullets, a bullet pierces his top hat. And he's like, hey, what's going on? Hold on a minute. Guys, take this chopper up and chase after that Jeep. I'm not going to be able to get me deposit back. There's a hole in me hat. And they fly over the top of this Jeep, like 20 feet off the ground. And Bond just tucks and rolls out of the helicopter onto the 
ground into this area that's full of rusted out cars and like rotten fishing crates and empty barrels. And so he's finally in the mix now. Such as it is. Then once Bond gets involved, the other dude just kind of run. Well, they run off in the bushes because Sanchez disappears. He jumped out of the Jeep on the way there. Yeah, why didn't they slow down? He just, he tucks and rolls, but just pull over, guys. Look, Sanchez does things Sanchez's way. I said, do not go below 30 miles per hour, or this Jeep will explode. <laughs> and so, yeah, so he ducks and covers uh, out of the Jeep. And then sneakily, Chad, almost like the Zorin in the blimp, has somehow managed to not only find a plane, has gotten in the plane, started it up, and is now, <laughs> like, taxiing away, and everybody's like, hey, I think that's a guy. That's Sanchez. He's out of control. We gotta go catch him. One important thing that happens here is that Bond, after he shoots up the Jeep, he runs over and the henchmen scatter. He sees Lupe, whose ass is freshly whipped, and he comes up to her and he says, Hello, nurse. Do you need any help? Because I could possibly go get someone to help you. Not me, of course. And Lupe says, No, take your hands off of me. And he's like, I'm sorry, love, but I'm actually not touching you. And Lupe is like, sorry, it's just a natural reflex when a man asks me a question. <laughs> About this time, the plane is now taking off and Felix Leiter says, we got to go catch Sanchez. He's out of control. So as the plane takes off, Felix Leiter, the two DEA agents, and oh yeah, I forgot James Bond, remember him, they all get back in the Coast Guard helicopter and they give chase after the plane because as Leiter says, He'll be in Cuban airspace in 20 minutes. He's out of control. And so Bond says, well, let's do some fishing. I, I'm the star of this movie. It seems like I should possibly do something. <laughs> and, and Lighter is like, you mean you're going to take that steel rope? You're going to climb down on the plane. You're going to wrap it around the tail. And then we're going to catch that plane like a fish. That sounds like a smashing idea. On the way down, would it be okay if I comically twitter my hands like a little bird? Well, I was saying we should just go fishing. But yeah, that's a good idea too. With the steel cable and all. So that's what happens is that they, you know, he ties it up, gets that on there. And they, they basically have the plane dangling from the helicopter, which I'm not sure about the physics on this, but who gives a shit? It's some shitty stunt work, Bo. It looks terrible. That's really bad. And the whole idea is that they have somehow snagged Sanchez with their helicopter. And then they're like, wait, James, we got to get to the wedding. I got a woman I got to have sex with tonight. They fly over this church, and they're a couple of hundred feet up in the air dangling this plane. <laughs> Maybe. Della's down there in the, the wedding party, and they're like, oh my god, he's here! And then immediately, cut to the helicopter and the plane three miles in the air, where they jump out with parachutes, which, where did they get parachutes? When did they put them on? Yeah, I mean, all of that is right, Chad. But also, Della and her family are now watching Della's husband-to-be uh -huh. and some dude he knows yep. parachute into the wedding. And I wanted somebody to just look at Della and be like, what does your husband do again? Oh, international spy? Okay. I mean, the, once more, James Bond et al., the most conspicuous spies that have ever been. <laughs>
as soon as you parachute into a wedding and your job isn't professional parachuter, then you pretty much have given up the ghost that you are somehow <laughs> an international man of mystery. This whole thing is terrible filmmaking. It's poorly edited. There's no continuity. There's no logical progression of time, space, or character behavior. Right. Where does Lamora go for all this? The, like They left her on the tarmac, and she just kind of hangs out until she goes back to Sanchez's house, I guess. <laughs> so Felix and Bond, they parachute down to the church and everybody screams with joy. And then as everyone enters the church, first the bride and then our two clowns, as they're walking in, there's this gag where little girls pick up the parachutes trailing behind Bond and Lighter. And it's like they're the wedding trains. And then the movie just starts with these opening credits with a song that nobody has ever heard called License to Kill. As noted earlier, sung by Gladys Knight, it's immediately forgettable with uninspired opening credits of women hopping around all over the place in their underwear with this weird imagery of like a camera taking pictures like i don't even know what the hell that's all about photography isn't important to this movie is it no i guess there's the gun that looks like a camera yeah but he never treats the gun like a camera it looks like a camera but he's just a gun (laughs) i don't know why q didn't just give him a gun right at no point does he have to like pretend this thing is a camera oh god this movie is so deliciously stupid so after the credits which like you said are just garbage the song is terrible you've got a license to kill i think that's how it goes thrilling the love of a lifetime a license to kill i love gladys knight i love the pips i love them separately and i love them together that's why you spent $39.99 to see her naked. To fuck Gladys Knight, yes. And <laughs> Whoa! Oh, big spender. I'm sorry. Huh. Yeah, well, you know, it's <laughs> 40, bu- 40 bucks is 40 bucks. Is wh- that's what she told me. Next thing you're going to tell me, you got cable TV at your house. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's what I like about the Gladys Knight thing is I love 90s soul music. There's part of me that that kind of really digs that, that late 80s, early 90s stuff. Like Boys to Men? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that about you. I like that kind of era of soul music, and some of it's really good, but like you said, this is the most forgettable title track. Not just title track to a James Bond movie, but just, like, if you heard this on the radio, as soon as, as soon as it was over, you would be amazed at how much further down the road you were. Like, how, did I just lose time? I'm like eight miles further than I thought. What did, was Gladys Knight singing a modern song of hers? <laughs> We cut to this interrogation room where we see Sanchez and the two DEA agents from earlier. And we see Everett McGill, who is playing a character named Killifer. Jesus Christ. We last saw Everett McGill as the preacher turned werewolf in Silver Bullet, season nine, episode two of Pick Six Movies. And in this movie, he's Killifer, who I think he's the police chief or the head of the DEA or something. You know, in that script, they had like murder wits crossed out and there was like how about death field and like, ah, it's too uh, how about bradley murder fun is that good <laughs> what about hold on what about pete slaughter kids does that sound believable how about reverend werewolf roger basher skullin with a rockenstein <laughs> <laughs> jimmy stabbenfield broderick Paninhead. Mm, how about bo fucking gladys is that a real thing by the way can i borrow 39 dollars and 95 cents i'm going to the palladium Tell you what, you ever run into Bo fucking Gladys on 8chan? <laughs> we know who it is. 
So we got Killifer. Hope he's not up to anything no good. Right. I hope he's not a bad guy. He barks out to Sanchez. Look, Sanchez, you're facing 139 felony counts. That's 936 years, and each one has 552,600 minutes. How do you measure Measure a year in prison. There's gang rape. There's a maid shanks. There's food filled with maggots. I think that's just Shawshank. I like how Everett McGill is killing her here. As soon as, like, <laughs> it's so stupid. <laughs> I like how he talks about down here, there's no law south of the border. Not even one of those famous million dollar bribes that you're giving me will get you out of this. I mean, I'm not being bribed. I'm a cop. I'm a good cop. I'm a, one of the good cops who doesn't take bribes. It's ridiculous. I'm not a werewolf. I'm a preacher. Why would I pretend to be something that I'm not? Not is it hot in here? It's hot in here, right? Oh, this eye patch? Why, I wouldn't worry about it much. Sanchez says, I will give two million dollars to anyone who springs me. And Killifer says, sold! I mean, oh, you're going away for good, Sanchez. And there's no way you're getting the routing number and checking account information associated with my personal bank later today, no matter how much money you're going to pay me $2 million. You and your drug dealer types make me sick, Sanchez. <laughs> so sick, in fact, I'm going to need this vomit bag. You might notice on the back it's got my address and where you can send payments to. Well, that's just the kind of <laughs> sick I am. Here, I'll throw it at you in anger. There, Sanchez. Pocket that. Sanchez says, I am going home soon where I will whip women with lizards for their creative indiscretions. And then Killifer does the best IRL Homer Simpson where he gives it a why I oughta and he starts to strangle him by the neck. <laughs> Let's get back to the wedding. So we come back to the wedding reception where Della, remember Felix Leiter's new bride, she's being way too affectionate with James Bond on their wedding day. She's all canoodling with him and kissing on him. You would think that these two were the ones that gotten married the way she's carrying on. And Della is played by Priscilla Barnes, who was the third female roommate on the ABC sitcom Three's Company. And she played Terry, the one who was a nurse. And she was also in Kevin Smith's film Mall Rats, where she was a three-nippled topless fortune teller at a flea market and in that movie she peels off her third nipple and she eats it at the end of her scene she was also in that rob zombie devil's rejects movies too uh she she is the woman who gets killed by sherry moon zombie in that motel room scene that is nigh unwatchable did she have three nipples in that eventually <laughs> you know who else had three nipples francisco scaramanja who was the main bad guy in the james bond movie the man with the golden gun as played by christopher lee he had three nipples and in that movie james bond is played by roger moore he pretends to be him and he adorns a fake nipple himself stuck to his chest although he doesn't peel it off and eat it like priscilla barnes did in mall rats oh well immediately an inferior film then did you know that statistically one in 18 men have a third nipple and one in 50 women have a an extra nipple what about nipples on the back i didn't say where it was gonna be i'm just oh. saying they got a third nipple somewhere you gotta look for it oh well in that case bend over 
welcome brothers, you know? <laughs> Della snuggles up to James Bond and she says, Bond, baby, be a darling and go find my new husband, Felix Leiter. I saw him over at the guest house, which is also his office, and he was in there with this strange woman for hours after we exchanged wedding vows. Go get him, love. Kissy, kissy. So Bond heads over to the guest house slash office, and sure enough, Felix Leiter is in there with Pam Bouvier, who is an ex-CIA agent slash pilot who's going to show up on our movie later. And Bo, can you name two other primary fictional characters along with Pam Bouvier in License to Kill that have the last name Bouvier, according to some random internet thing I found? Well, there's Patty and Selma. Uh, I would put them as a secondary character. I listed Marge Bouvier as one of the primary. Jacqueline Bouvier, of course. She was a real person. Was she, Chad? My other one was Anthony Bouvier from Designing Women, as played by Meshach Taylor, who was also in the movie Mannequin and Mannequin 2. And those are movies about a guy who has sex with a mannequin that comes back to life. And honestly, it feels like a prequel to that Lars and the Real Girl movie. Except Lars and the Real Girl addresses the fact that somebody's fucking a doll and Mannequin never does. You should have you never seen that? Lars and the Real Girl is a great movie. Lars and the Real Girl is a movie about a creep who needs psychological help. You cannot legitimize that kind of deviant behavior. The cleanup alone is vile. That is a very sweet movie. You and I are very different. <laughs> So James Bond, James Bond, he goes in and Felix Leiter and Pam, they look up, oh, they're, they're shocked. Someone came in and busted him. And uh, at this point, James Bond sees Felix Leiter, Ham, Pam, an envelope, and she just scampers off. She's gone. Felix looks at his buddy Bond and he goes, don't worry. It's all business, my friend. You're out of control. And Bond's like, hey, Felix, your house is full of drunken wedding guests. You should possibly go back and maybe be hospitable. Would you mind if I laid down on the couch here and took a nap? I'm a bit tuckered. And Felix says, not now. I got to write a report. Is there one T or two in bloodletting? I'm out of control. And Bob pulls out this cigarette. He starts smoking, but not in a cool way. He kind of smokes in that I've cut down to two packs a day kind of a way. He's shaking a little bit. And also, <laughs> Bo, does everybody in this movie need to comb their hair? They all look like they just got out of a convertible after an 80 mile ride down a freeway. It's like, comb your hair for God's sake. You're in a movie. Look presentable. But I mean, you would think, Chad. Uh, I bet the the hair and makeup was done by one of them broccolis too. Just half-ass throwing shit together. Run your fingers through it. Perfect. Hey, I got this wig. I mean, a raccoon. We ain't got hairstyling money. Did you see how much we spent on dynamite? Come on. Killifer comes in and, uh, you know, everybody's favorite duplicitous backstabbing character actor from every movie ever made. Uh, he comes in and he's like, hey, have you boys uh, seen a giant suitcase maybe filled with $2 million around here? Might have some cocaine or opium smudges on the outside of it. Definitely got some blood stains. No, you know, forget I mentioned it. Huh. By the way, congratulations on your marriage. Felix Leiter, your wife, she's quite a catch. Well, boys, gotta go help Sanchez escape police custody this afternoon. I, I mean, I'm taking Sanchez directly to prison. No court case. <laughs> gotta go, boys. See you later. It's real. Uh, I guess I need to congratulate you twice. One for the wedding and one for that business down in Isthmus. <laughs> Leiter takes out a CD from his computer that's been loaded up with top secret information, and he hides it behind a picture of Della in a frame. Sure, that's going to be important later, Bo. Mm -hmm. And then Leiter and Della cut their wedding cake, and Sharky gives Della and Leiter a wedding present, which is a box full of homemade fishing lures. Why is this in the movie, Bo? Uh, it's just unnecessarily killing time on this two-plus-hour nonsense. Like, I don't give a shit. Like... 
Oh, he's going fishing? I don't give a shit. These red ones here, they're good for catching marlins. Now, the blue ones, that's my secret sauce. What I do is I, I dip it in a little bit of habanero and brown sugar. Now, the secret for your... Like, what, are, what are you doing? Right. Just as part of the audience, I'm like, stop it! We get to Sanchez, who's being put in the back of this armored car, while the press screams out nonsensical questions. They're like, Sanchez, are you guilty? Hey, Sanchez, are you Colombian? Sanchez, what would you do for a Klondike bar? Have you considered laundering money and selling drugs? (laughs) Have you heard the good news? So, off the armored van rolls, being escorted by two military trucks with about mm-hmm. 15 soldiers in each of them. One truck's in the front, one's in the back. And Killifer, he's riding shotgun in the armored van so that he can help Sanchez escape. And then we go back to the wedding and James Bond is given a gift by the bride and the groom that is this kind of like old beat up lighter. It certainly doesn't look new. And there's an inscription on it that says, James, love always, Della and, F- and Felix. Thanks for putting some thought into that one. <laughs> says, Thanks for such a touching gift. I'll be sure to carry it on me always in case I need to use it later to kill someone in the movie. The moment <laughs> that he hits the lighter and it just does a full on like once upon a time in Hollywood flamethrower. It is seriously an 18 inch flame. And if you look at the film, you can see a little wire going up his arm into it. It's, it's a little trick how they did it. movies aren't real again this is a first time watch for me and the moment this happens i'm like oh well he's gonna kill the bad guy with that thing (laughs) because i've seen movies before chad and and that was the first tickle (laughs) and then there's a moment later where it's like oh he's definitely killing that dude with that lighter um because felix lighter you think he gives everybody lighters like that's his thing right that's why the inscriptions bullshit all the best della and felix what i think this was a lighter he bought for his friend like james bethany they fell out and he's like fuck it james all the best felix and della hey buddy here you go yeah it like he had it on hand it originally said charles he took it to a jeweler they buffed it <laughs> bada bing bada boom Thanks for being best man, James. Back on the Seven Mile Bridge, Sanchez is in the back of this van with two guards. And at this point, Killifer, he just hits the driver in the face with the butt of a shotgun. And then the van just veers off and crashes into the ocean. And then a bunch of scuba divers swim over and provide Killifer and Sanchez with air to breathe by means of scuba gear. And everybody escapes by grabbing onto a mini sub that pulls them away. That whole scene probably takes about five minutes in this movie. And that's all we need to say about it. So then later at the wedding... It's nighttime at the yeah. and everybody's left except for James Bond. That's right. And because he's, you know, having a little teamy tea mini martunis, you know, <laughs> and just shaking, not stirred. As he's like seeing someone get married and thinking about all the regrets of his life and, you know, how he treated money penny all those years and shit like that. And Della is like, Listen, James, you know what it means if you catch a garter, right? And he's like, I believe I do. How about you just keep it to yourself? I was married once, about nine or ten movies ago. It was when I was younger and Australian. It didn't work out, and I've yet to meet someone as batshit crazy as my one true love. You know, what's her name, Stacy? That's not it, Lacey. 
Crazy? You know what? Let's go with Crazy. That sounds about right. She was on the Avengers TV show. Look, love, I'll call you later if that's not my dead wife's name. And it's Felix who kind of lets her in on all this about like, you know, hey, he was married once a long time ago. And I was like, hey, I saw that movie. And I was real excited when he said that. (laughs) When Bond drives off and he leaves the driveway, as he exits, the tires squeal a little, which is normally a sign either A, that the driver's drunk or B, angry or C, both. Yeah, I think it's C in this scenario. (laughs) And as soon as he leaves, they go inside and there are just goons waiting for him. Uh Uh-huh. And we knock out Felix and and Della. And one of the goons is 19-year-old Benicio Del Toro. Yes, who is actually a pretty good sidekick villain. Like, there, there's a good bit with him at the end, I think. <laughs> oh, my God. You are grading on such a curve. At a warehouse later, like, on the dock or pier, wherever the fuck they are. It's uh, Anthony Zerby. Who? Uh, who plays Crest. Oh, yeah. I didn't catch his name. I just wrote his name was Crest Lee because I thought he looked like Stan Lee. <laughs> a little yeah a little bit he's telling sanchez we've got a boat here that'll get you to cuba by breakfast you gotta get out of here sanchez excelsior sanchez like i have to wait for dario and dario is benicio del toro i have to wait for benicio del toro he is a promising young actor and one day he will win an oscar for a movie called traffic so uh stan lee is like hey have you considered killing this killer for guy? By my count, you said you were going to give him $2 million. But if you don't, that's going to save you like, I don't know, like $2 million. Or if you're Jack Kirby, $1 million and I get the other million. <laughs> Sanchez says, no, loyalty is more important to me, amigo. And then <laughs> Stan Lee says, yeah, but this guy over here, he can finger me. And I don't want to get fingered by any cop. Hey, why are you giggling? I'm sorry. It is the way you phrased it. Uh, I think if you have seen this oh, show. funny? The, far, boy, the part about a cop? Or the part about getting fingered? I don't want to have cops fingering me. <laughs> then all of his cop buddies think that they can finger me too. <laughs> have you ever seen the show Archer? There is such a thing as phrasing, my friend. And you are on the wrong side of that. I haven't seen that show, Excelsior. Sanchez then says, go get Killifer. And then Stanley, he turns around and dude walks three steps, opens a door into the adjacent room where there is a 100% chance that Killifer just heard their entire conversation about killing Killifer and not giving him $2 million. Say, you didn't hear none of that, did you? The part you said about killing someone named Killifer and not giving him $2 million? I heard that part, but how does that relate to me? When he brings in Killifer, Sanchez then reaches down and pulls out this oversized suitcase, and he says, Killifer, here is your $2 million, all in $20 bills. That's 100... That is 100,000 individual bills. If there are 100 bills in a standard stack wrapped of currency, that's 1,000 stacks of cash. So each $20 bill weighs about one gram, 450 grams in the pound, 100,000, This is about 220 pounds of weight inside this shitty suitcase. Good luck hauling it around, jackass. Thank goodness I've got all that upper body core strength. It's all the wood chopping I do up in Twin Peaks. Sanchez tells Stanley, keep an eye on Lupe. I plan to whip her later with a lizard for something I'm sure she did wrong. 
This will be a preemptive lizarding. Sure thing, Sanchez. And then Sanchez leaves with 19-year-old Benicio Del Toro. And as Sanchez walks by Stan Lee, Stan Lee does that Melania Trump move. You know, when Trump walks by and her smile instantly turns to a scowl, like when she's out of eyesight. And you're like, oh, he's just pretending to be his friend. Right. You know, as an adult, whenever you say you're pretending to do something, you're that's just another way of saying that you're lying. I Yeah, I like to feel like I've reached a point where if someone's like, hey, are you going to do that thing? I'm like, no. <laughs> I don't even pretend. Like, uh, maybe. Sir, you told me that there were no weapons in the car. Yeah. I was just pretending I didn't have any guns. It was a make em up. I, I'm an improv comic, <laughs> sir. And I was making you part of the scene. <laughs> that's what i tell cops you have just participated in what is known as a happening officer yeah you have you have just completed your first bn <laughs> but all right let, let's get to the sanchez shit because this is the only thing that are, that matters or uh, felix this is good where they they string him up and they're like so mr Lita, you thought you could get the best of sanchez but i believe we are going to get the best of you. And they open up this trap door. And Sanchez apparently has a pet shark that he is keeping <laughs> under this facility. His wrists are bound with a hook. Like they're tied up. And yes. then there's a hook between the bindings that connects to a rope that goes over two pulleys. And then that comes down. And then they hook that to what? Another giant corpse of some sort? It's like a cow or a lamb? At first I thought it was maybe his dead wife. Yeah, just this big beef shank that they're using to counterbalance. I like. I don't know. They don't explain this. And there was part of me that was like, well, so if the shark eats that, does that lower him in? But then they just lower him. So I don't know. Maybe the, maybe the meat's just there to get the, the shark excited or whatever. Felix but. Leiter had a very full day. You know, like he woke up and he was like, oh, he's like, I'm a little nervous about my wedding. I'm out of control. And then he's driving to the wedding and then a helicopter shows up and says, get inside. So he gets in the helicopter. They go and shoot drug smugglers. He gets in the helicopter. He helps James Bond. Remember, he's in our movie. And they go fishing for a plane. They, they catch the plane. Then he impromptu skydives out of the helicopter, down to the church. He got married. He had a reception. He had a secret meeting with Pam Bouvier. He hosted the reception. He saw his wife attacked, and then he got knocked unconscious, and now he's being fed to a shark. You never know what your day's going to bring, Bo. Yeah, you got to hand it to the guy, Chad. He's a real go-getter. Um, then I'm not even a dad. I, don't, I have no excuse. Um, all my comedy should be sharp and cutting edge. But yeah, so they start lowering him into the water. Killifer shows up. Yeah, and, and the shark the shark just takes off his leg like it's a Monty Python sketch. It is glorious. What is this doing in a James Bond movie? I know that there are sharks in other movies and other people get by, but in this, it's just, it's so out of place. It's one of the greatest things I've ever seen in a movie. You're right, it's wildly out of place. It comes out of nowhere. Even at, at the point where they're like, you know, we've got a, what, a bay full of sharks directly below us that we're going to use to take Felix Leiter out. Okay, I grant you that. Meat goes in the water. Leiter goes in the water. Sharks in the water. All shark. <laughs> Farewell, Farewell. Do, 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 do you, Spanish lady? 
the way that this shark just comes up like Bruce from Universal Studios uh-huh. and chomps this dude's leg off and the way it comes free because it's clearly a prosthetic. <laughs> I had to stop the movie. I was like, holy shit. Did I just see something great in a James Bond movie? I did like that when Felix Leiter is being lowered down to the shark tank, he screams out, see you in hell. You're out of control. And while he's being eaten, Killifer and Stan Lee, they just both look on with these faces of shock and disgust because they're watching a man consumed by an animal in front of them. They're just like, what is... And so James Bond is trying to escape the movie, Chad. He's at the airport. <laughs> You're like, oh yeah, James Bond, the star of our film. I, I, I kind of remember him being here. There are cops everywhere. Bond walks up to the Pan Am ticket counter and he says to the attendant, he's like, so love, what's with all the scuttlebutt with the coppers running about? And this Pan Am ticket agent, she says, oh that, some big drug dealer just escaped. And then James Bond just runs off, which I'm like, she should probably call someone. Right. <laughs> I only need to learn how to fly, not to land. And it, he takes off and he goes straight to Felix's house. He knocks on the door and goes inside, unlike our last bond. <laughs> Go through the window. Yeah, he finds Della dead on the bed. Yeah, she's got a little blood on her belly and some on her wrist. And she has a facial expression of death that fails so miserably at portraying someone who has been murdered. I honestly think if she had just closed her eyes and stuck out her tongue, she would have nailed the scene better. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty like they drew big X's on her eyes. <laughs> <laughs> After he finds Della dead, he goes over to the office, which has been ransacked. And on the couch is a body bag. Bond unzips the body bag and inside is Felix Leiter's corpse. Inside of his vest, remember he's still wearing his wedding clothes, there is a note that someone has written, he disagreed with something that ate him. Who wrote this? It had to be Sanchez. You know, now that I think about it, that sounds like something I'd do. It's a pretty good gag. So they fed him to a shark, but not all of him, just enough to supposedly kill him. Uh-huh. And then they put him in a body bag. They brought him back to his house. Why don't I just let the shark eat all of him? Was the shark full from eating that cow or lamb? And they're like, well, what are we going to do with the body? Like, I don't know. Just see, I, I chose to believe that it was the more fucked up option, which is that they murdered his wife and then made sure that he was maimed for life and then pulled him up and took him home so that he would live. That doesn't make any sense. But then you're just like, hey, there's this guy that got away, murdered, like took away everything. He can identify everybody, Bo. He saw them all. He knows who it is. Who gives a shit? They got no extradition. That's the whole point of this movie. Lighter starts gurgling a little. He's like, I'm out of control. (laughs) (laughs) And And he's like mostly dead and partly alive. And then the phone rings. James Bond runs over and picks it up and he says, hey, get an ambulance over here quick. I'm like, I don't think he knows how 911 works. Like, you don't just tell anyone on the phone to send help. <laughs> yeah. Later, the ironically named Sharky. Bond, like, I, I would think that Felix would want to kick him right the fuck out of the hospital when they come to visit. Well, he can't do that because he's only got one leg. But wait, he's just like, you think I want to see you right now, Sharky? You know what happened to me? It was all shock-based. You think I enjoy seeing your face right now? They're in this hospital, and Bond tells Sharky, his left leg is gone. Like, the whole thing. But they think they can save part of his arm. And Sharky's 
he's like, oh man, fuck, that sounds terrible. And then <laughs> this doctor comes over and he says, I wish I could be more helpful, but your friend is mostly dead. I know some wizards in the woods and they think that that's partly alive, but I believe in science over magic. Your friend's going to die. See you later. And so at this point, Hawkins, one of the two CIA agents from the day before shows up in the hospital room and he says, uh, hey, uh, James Bond, you remember that guy Sanchez from yesterday? Uh, the guy we caught. Yeah. Funny story. Um, he escaped and he has all of uh, Lighter's files and he got Lighter's gun and somehow he got all of my guns and he took my 14 year old daughter's diary and she just won't stop crying. I tried to call her mom, but we're divorced. It's a whole thing. But I, what, are we, what are we talking about here? You know, I honestly don't know. I kind of checked out. Hey, Sharky, I've got an idea. What if you and I go get on your fishing boat and seeing as we're the least qualified people around here to start an investigation related to narcotics, we should do that. So they decide to go check out warehouses. He takes him directly to the warehouse where all this shit happens that afternoon. Well, but they say like, hey, we, we've narrowed it down to this one. This is the last one we're checking or whatever. Stan Lee's Florida Keys Aquarium Emporium. Nobody's got more fish than Stan Lee's except the ocean. Excelsior! So Bond slips out of this warehouse posing as like something. He's shipping something through them or some bullshit. He doesn't slip in. He rings the doorbell and the guard says, we're closed. Go away. And then Bond cleverly says, I'm from London. I'm from the zoo there. We need a fish. Could you sell me one for the zoo in London where I'm from? And the guy's like, well, that's a horse of a different color. The guard says, you want a what? And Bond says, Calcarian Calcarius, a great white. Have you seen the movie Jaws? Apparently the screenwriter has. That's how this broccoli kid was like, just, you know, tapping the pen to his lips one night thinking like, what it, what would be a good way to dispose of a Felix lighter? And in the background is just, I was on the Indianapolis. Huh. What about piranha? Barracudas? Eels? How about all of them? Stanley's inside and he overhears this conversation and he says, let him in. Look, we don't have sharks. We mostly do research around here. Hybrids with gamma radiation. Like over here, we got Fishman who can breathe underwater and talk to fish. He's nothing like Detective Comics Aquaman. And over here, we got Marsh Thing. He's a superhuman hybrid mashup that was created during an explosion in the marshes of Florida in no way like DC Swamp Thing. And over there is Gator Maid. She is in no way a female-based copyright infringement of Killer Croc or affiliated with any delicious nationally recognized sports beverages. Excelsior! Boy, Moon Knight is the most Batman-ass Batman in the world, isn't he? So while Bond is checking out this warehouse, and you'll have to explain this to me, he sees a pile of garbage that means something to him. And I was like, the cigarette butts maybe? I don't know. He just wanders around the aquarium he sees the submarine that don't mean nothing right and then he looks down on the ground and we the audience see that the carnation from felix's tuxedo is swept over into a pile of trash with uh cigarette butts uh bond completely missed it there's no way he saw it because bond leaves having learned nothing new so let's cut to nighttime and stan lee's aquarium emporium and mutation chop shop and sharky's there with him and they come around back and we see some divers leaving in the 
this submarine that's called the Shark Hunter 2. And inside, Killifer is hanging out and a security guard says, just chill here. The submarine will be back in three hours. That doesn't mean anything. And Killifer starts playing solitaire again because the screenwriter watched the movie Jaws a lot. Well, I ain't got no spit. I don't have to sit here and take this kind of abuse. <laughs> Bond and Sharky come around back and they sneak into the submarine holding area. And Bond gets out of this tiny boat that he and Sharky are in. And as Bond walks across the open great walkway, again, the oversized plastic shark from Universal Studios pops up and goes like, nom, 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 I'm gonna get you. It's really bad. It's almost a candy gram. It's right there. And then while they're sneaking around, James Bond finds some drugs in a big drawer full of maggots, which undulate hilariously. Those aren't maggots. Those were just plastic worm fishing lures. Yeah. And somebody beneath, like, they had a thin layer of it on some plastic and somebody underneath just poking at it to make it look like a bunch of them are moving around. It looks awful. You, But you love that shit. I love it when a movie fails <laughs> this spectacularly. Just achieving its central aim of, like, we want to portray a drawer of maggots. Nope. Yeah, fucked it up. That looks terrible. I've got $84. Well, you better get your ass down to Bass Pro Shop and come back with $84 worth of maggots. I got $200 worth of gummy worms. Soak them in bleach. It'll work. Right. Oh, shit. They dissolved. <laughs> About $200 and I've got no effect. So Bond sticking his arms elbows deep in this drawer full of plastic worms pretending to be maggots. And he finds these bundles of cocaine. And then uh, the security guard from earlier said, nobody's home goal away uh, he shows up and pulls a gun on james bond and then james bond just throws a handful of these plastic worms in the guard's face and then bond disposes of the guard by doing a shoulder toss throws this guy into the plastic worm drawer and then closes the drawer with a pithy bon appetit <laughs> yeah and then another dude comes around this is the greatest day of this guy's career he's got an uzi in his hand and someone has broken into stanley's house of funky fish goings on right and he's spraying bullets around and bond ends up getting the the drop on this dude and tossing him into a tank of electric eels mm, the full kenneth Branagh. he gets electrocuted but chad i posit that because of what we have learned scientifically from Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, this should have both killed him and then brought him immediately back to life. His name is Statisco Electriconitan, the security lightning bolt guy. Jack, come up with a name. Uh, Ultron? Yeah, Ultron, that's what I just said. You stole that from me, you son of a bitch. Killifer overhears all this commotion and then he shows up and he says, freeze, stranger, I've got a gun. Why don't you step over there next to that trap door, old buddy? And tip to aspiring bad guys and evil geniuses everywhere, when directing someone over to a trap door, don't call attention to it. Just have them walk over to it, stand on it, and then spring the surprise of a trap door on them. It's better for them. It's more exciting for you. Agreed. And Sharky shows up at this point as well. Yeah, he pops out of the floor like Chet from Barton Fink. Remember me, Chet. Then Killifer ends up, as you suggested, getting kind of suspended over the pit of sharks and Bond throws the money at it. Yeah, the whole suitcase. But that's after Killifer says, hey, I'll, I'll split the money with you. You know, 80-20. All right, 70-30. I don't think so, buddy, old pal. 
And then the money goes in the water, $2 million, as does Killifer, mm-hmm. and the shark, nom, 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 eats him. Mm-hmm. And then our buddy Sharky says, what a waste of money. Like, well, no shit, man. This dude runs a fishing boat, Bo. Sharky clears maybe, what, 50 grand gross a year? That dude could have retired on that money, and they just threw it in the water? I also like that he clarifies of money once Bond shoots him this look like, You know, I'm not above killing two men with sharks in the same day. If you'd like to go to hell tonight, I can make it happen. No, no, of money. No, no, you murdering people right in front of me. I'm on board with Mr. Bond. Then later, I guess, Bond is asking about this wave crest thing. Yeah, it's the next day. Like, we should go find out where that submarine went. They might have some people on there I could kill. A quick exposition on this is that he, the wave crest is a research ship owned by stan lee aka martin crest and immediately bond looks at sharky and is like sue are you gonna be ready to sail in an hour then and he's like yeah i guess like looking for a way out of this horrifying situation he's found himself in i'm sure he's probably thinking if we go over near stanley's fishatoga falls he might be able to skim up a few thousand dollars to help pay his mortgage Fishatoga Falls. Yeah, that's what he calls his uh, aquarium mutation abomination to God and humanity. The abomination. That was my creation. But yeah, so on his way out, though, Bond gets nabbed by this other CIA agent from earlier. Yeah, Hawkins from the Coast Guard debacle that happened earlier. And they kind of surround him and they're like, hey, you know, James, we got it. We're we're America. Did you find my daughter's diary? It's pink. It says OMG Secrets on the front. I'm in deep shit with that kid, Bond. I need your help. I hear you're a good spy. Where'd you hear that? It's never happened in a movie. I've never done anything that comes close to being called a good spy. Not even ironically. They usually just say you're total shite, and I agree. Would this be a compound, Chad, where they take him? This feels like a compound. There's, like, armed guards walking around. It's the Hemingway house. There's all the feral cats running around. They're shooting in Key West. These idiots. So they uh, lead Bond inside, and sure enough, they're waiting for him is m yeah remember him the head of mi6 who's in every james bond movie ever right but because none of this takes place in london you have to bring the mountain to muhammad to get him in this movie (laughs) you were supposed to be in istanbul last night bond this lighter business doesn't concern you you have a job to do this private vendetta could jeopardize the queen's harumph 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 right and bond's like look I've never done my job before. I'm not about to start now. I'm no longer going to be a secret agent. How do you like that? Wait, didn't I try to quit in a different movie? I think I was married then. An Australian. And is like, well, I'm sorry, Bond. I'm going to need your gun and I'm revoking your license to kill. You know, and of course. Woo! That's the name of the movie we're watching. I'm watching it right now. Bond, rather than turn over his gun, there's a running thing in this movie where Bond is always real pissed when someone takes his gun. It's like, everyone's got one. Just take one from them. It's not a big deal. Yeah, sure, you're gonna take my gun. Hey, look, champ, I'm in America. I'll have two more before sundown without a background check or anything. Totally clean. No serial numbers or nothing. The flea market loophole is really something. And anyway, so he Haikiba's one of the goons from the CIA with a, a high kick and then hops the rail and escapes with his gun, thank goodness, then runs to Sharky. We cut to the skipper and first mate of Stan Lee's boat, and they're like, Sir, we see something over here in Sector C. 
whatever that means. And then we see Stan Lee and he's drunk and he wanders into Lupe's room, which you're like, oh yeah, I forgot she was in this movie. And she kicks him out. She's like, quit peeking in my room, pervert. And I'm like, finally, somebody's up in the creep factor in our James Bond movie. <laughs> yeah. It's been 40 minutes. How come no one's sexually assaulted anybody yet? You call yourself a James Bond movie licensed to kill. How dare you? I'm going to slap the name James Bond right out of your mouth. Licensed to kill. You better start groping women. And when it does happen, Chad, it's the villains doing it almost like the way movies ought to work <laughs> the captain of this ship comes down and he tells stanley's like sir oh, we got something in sector 7c uh, could you come take a look at her and then stanley comes up and he's like that there that's the human manta it's nothing and then it turns out james bond is like wearing a manta ray costume that he made himself i assume it was a large kite that he started with this is why I'm I'm on board with this. This goofy manta ray outfit that he has with his flippers kicking behind it to indicate fully that this is a person. It's stupid. He comes out from under this manta man suit and then he attaches himself to the bottom of this submarine and rides inside the larger boat undetected. You know, how the Millennium Falcon did in those Star Wars movies. Yes. Then he comes up into like the bay where all the, uh, this probe the sentinel is what they call it where they kind of dock it the little submarine yeah i originally i was like oh he drowns this guard but he fucks up and he doesn't drown the guy he just splashes him in the water and then pulls him out and it's like you know washing machine washing machine ah. <laughs> yeah and and tosses him in this like pressure tank to kind of get him out of the way let's describe this it looks like a bank vault mm -hmm. and i don't know what its practical purpose is it's for decompression and stuff i don't i don't know what did you use this for i get that it's kind of decompression but for for what to shrink wrap steak so you can freeze them for months on end it's so we can blow somebody up later well when he, he chunks him in there and then we see a few cubes of money that are shrink wrapped so there's a bunch of cash in there and then a couple other hired goons with guns come in to see if their buddy is missing from his workstation um and they're like oh classic benny he's probably off looking at some porno mags bond escapes and he wanders off in the ship and then he makes his way upstairs into a room that says stan lee and then he goes in and lupe is sleeping and bond puts a knife to her neck and lupe is not not surprised by this at all she takes no. it really in stride having successfully navigated the life of a concubine for many years and then bond says well sanchez i've got a beef with him and lupe says he's not here i don't know where he is and then stanley knocks on the door and lupe goes to the door with bond hiding behind still holding a knife at her back and stanley says hey somebody snuck on board have you seen anybody on the ship that doesn't belong here and she's like i know i was sleeping go away stanley says well bolt your door true believer excelsior and he runs off while bond is holding a knife to lupe lamora by the way chad Ugh. <laughs> he notices the wounds on her back and ass because it's still james bond he's like look maybe i'm not going to assault her but i'm gonna have a peek who whipped you was it sanchez did he use a giant lizard to smack you across the hiney yeah and she says you know i made him mad i i i knew the risk i fell on his lap while he was striking the air while holding his oversized lizard upside down like a whip it was all my fault or maybe a dildo or maybe three dildos i'll have to check the police record from pick six movie this boat arrives outside and it's suddenly daytime which is kind of fun 
because originally this was all night. They found Sharky and strung him up. He's apparently dead too, although they don't really... Like, Bond doesn't seem real broken up about Sharky. Like, he's real pissed about Felix losing a leg. And half an arm. But Sharky is like, he knew the risks when I made him take me out here. So did these henchmen commandeer Sharky's boat and then kill him and then do a little deep sea fishing on their own where they caught the two sharks that are hanging to the left and right of this dead human? I assume Sharky was doing a little sharking while he Uh was waiting for Bond to do his thing. So you think those were Sharky sharks and not henchman sharks? Right. Sharky sharks were hanging beside Sharky when they pulled up. Okay. Bond tells Lupe, look love, I'm going to go kill Sanchez in a fit of rage due to my dead friend Sharky. But not really. Mostly because of my friend Felix Leiter, who was fed to a shark by Sanchez. He got half eaten. And then Bond walks out onto the boat's outer deck and he grabs a spear gun and he fires it into one of the guys that killed Sharky. Now, oddly enough, Bo, the last time we saw someone fire a spear gun on a ship and kill someone was by a guy named Sharky when he killed that ninja in Sharky's machine. One of the true great moments of Pick 6 movies. That's a good movie. Man, Burt Reynolds shooting a ninja off a boat with a harpoon gun in the state of georgia Mm -hmm. pretty good movies you keep it up you keep it up and i'll keep watching (laughs) stan lee sees bond kill this guy with a spear gun so he naturally just starts firing a weapon at james bond who jumps in the water where he swims down steals the dead guy's scuba gear and then stan lee he launches the submarine and tells a bunch of henchmen to go find james bond or whoever this stranger was that killed his worker and then a seaplane lands in the water the submarine uh, skirts over to the seaplane there are henchmen splashing around the water looking for james bond and then the seaplane opens up its doors and the people inside start handing over bundles of cocaine and the people in the submarine start handing over the cubes of wrapped money right so that's what our bad guys are doing in this movie they're drug smugglers yes drug runners and money launderers where the drugs are coming up uh stanley runs the money out to the plane and they you know swap so the submarine is now underwater full of cocaine james bond goes over opens the hatch and just starts stabbing these bundles of cocaine with a knife and all of the fish around him are totally fucking high i love this because he's just like fuck you drugs fuck you drugs and and, and stabbing them real good and then the bad guys get wind of this when they see like hey there's cocaine in the water over here come on guys take off your masks those two fish are talking about opening a restaurant together (laughs) this place is filthy with cocaine strippers just start cannonballing into the ocean (laughs) yeah they float the sentinel up to the surface and and start taking some shots at Bond and then he dives down and then there's some underwater wrestling that happens. It's a real underwater bar fight. It's like Val Kilmer and Hot Shots. It's all very unthrilling. (laughs) Like anytime you do this, like you almost gave me a thunderball here and I (laughs) fell asleep on it. But fortunately, Bond then harpoons one of the skids of this plane. And as it takes off, he's yanked behind it and then just starts skiing behind it. And the movie has the decency not to put a Beach Boys song under it (laughs) it is the most james bond thing that happens in this james bond movie not only does he ski back to the surface behind this plane but he starts making his way onto the plane itself Mm -hmm. then there were some other dudes shooting at him they try to shake him off with the plane like they wiggle it back and forth but that doesn't lose him and then he uses a loose door to knock one dude out of the plane and then knocks the pilot out and then chad After taking control of this plane, he buzzes the research ship and tosses a 
a mannequin into the water. Oh, glorious. Glorious. It's terrible. And then he just starts chunking the money out of the plane. Like putting $2 million in the ocean wasn't enough. Here's another $5 million. He effectively fucked up this whole deal where he ruins both money and drugs. Like everybody loses, which is the most effective thing I've ever seen James Bond do in any of these movies. Then Bond goes back to break into Felix's place. Yeah, there's a bunch of crime scene tape up, you know, because there was a murder that happened there two days ago. You know, he's just like, ooh, whoopsie doodle. Looks like this tape got torn. And he goes and finds the disc with the list of informants and all that shit. He doesn't find it. He goes and gets it. He knows where it is. Like, he doesn't discover it. It's all criminal informants that Leiter was working with, most of whom are dead except for one. One Miss Pam Bouvier. That's right, who Felix is supposed to meet in Bimini. Hey, Felix is supposed to meet her in 15 minutes right around the corner. <laughs> That's going to be fantastic. I'll go steal a car and head that way. I know I've got my own car, but you know... I like to steal them. Well, and then James Bond goes to this roadhouse on the water. Uh, it's called the Barrelhead Bay Bar. I don't know who the patrons are. They are all shapes and sizes and ages. I don't know what the theme of this place is. There's a stripper dancing on a wood pallet that you would find out behind a Home Depot. Who has seen more than one fight. Like, this whole thing is like the Muppet movie bar. <laughs> With a lot more skin and a shit ton more ceiling lights that are sponsored by Bush Beer. Yes. Anheuser-Busch is all over this movie. Speaking of, so their Pam Bouvier is waiting inside. <laughs> and let me just say, for an actress, this lady makes a good model, Chad. She was on Law & Order. What's her name? Carrie Lowell? She was married to Richard Gere. Yeah. And she was also married to... Who's the actor that was in After Hours? Uh, Griffin Dunn? Yeah, she was married to Griffin Dunn. I don't know who she's married to now. And it doesn't matter. Uh, she, I don't know how she is in Law & Order. She's terrible in this. Wouldn't her character have heard that Felix Leiter's wife was murdered 48 hours ago? This is a small island. News travels fast. Who knows, man? Like, the whole deal is, like, she doesn't trust him, and she's also, like, a real tough-as-nails kind of girl. Then Dario and his boys roll into the bar, Benicio Del Toro. Well, before they show up, she does ask, are you packing? And he shows her, you know, the gun in his holster. And she's like, oh, you're a pussy. And she pulls out a shotgun under the table. You're like, how did you get into this Hepsi establishment with that? Like, you, I realize that you're in the state of Florida, but even there, guns in places that primarily sell alcohol cannot be legal. You can't just dosy do in with that. <laughs> right. I agree. I, I think it's weird that Bond got in with his gun, much less her shotgun. Well, you know, and what's worse, when the waitress comes over and says, hey, can I get y'all something to drink? And then she looks at the waitress and has the audacity to say, I'll have a Budweiser with a lime. And James Bond's like, oh, that sounds refreshing and financially beneficial to the film's bottom line. I too shall have a delicious Budweiser beer, the king of beers, with a slice of lime. Man, like, what the fuck? You're trying to classy that shit up? Why don't you just order your Budweiser with a pickle? Dummy. The one time in this movie that Bond gets around to saying shaken, not stirred, he is so pissed off. Why does he order Budweiser? That seems crazy to me. Because they don't have liquor in this place, man. They only sell beer. All right. He's trying to blend in with the locals. I mean, you just order a vodka martini extra dry, a.k.a. vodka. Yeah, you do that. They're beating you with empty beer bottles. Flash forward two minutes in this scene, Chad. Dario and his goons, like, they sit down with Pam and Bond. 
there's like some quiet threatening going on here and then Pam just shoves a shotgun in Dario's balls this all comes to a head and Bond is like starting to fight the whole place explodes into a gigantic mm-hmm. on the water bar fight Bum, 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 bum. It's a gunfight and a knife fight and a broken beer bottle fight. It's a fist fight. The highlight is somebody attacking James Bond with a stuffed swordfish. That's pretty good. I like that the stripper over on the wooden pallet, she keeps dancing. Doesn't blink an eye. Like, this is all old hat. Look, another boss fight must be Tuesday. She works for tips. She knows how to make her money. <laughs> Do you think anyone's, like, stopping? Like, you know what? I really appreciated how when the place exploded in violence earlier, you really just kept that. <laughs> it so here's an extra five thanks for putting yourself and those tits in harm's way night after night pam takes her shotgun and she shoots it at the wall and creates i don't know like a new drive-through window <laughs> for this establishment <laughs> yeah, and then <laughs> i started doing that around the house chat it don't work like that you can't just take out a whole wall like that bond pops out the hole goes and gets in the boat that he stole to visit pam in the first place pam follows she gets in the boat they drive away but as they're escaping 19 year old benicio del toro shoots pam in the back killing her but don't worry she's wearing a bulletproof vest yeah kevlar (laughs) Then these two just start bickering about which one of them is a bigger asshole. The boat runs out of gas and Bond says, Hey, I need your help in the form of a flight to Isthmus City. Stop giggling. That's the name of the town where a bad guy lives in this movie. And he's like, I'm going to go after Sanchez. Will you help me? And she says, How many men do you have? And he says, Including me? Well, one. Right. And then she is charmed by this. And so after some haggling over the price, They fall in love. They fuck in the cabin. I didn't go so far as love. I think she's reading a lot into this relationship that quite frankly isn't there. It's weird how they go from screaming and yelling at each other to haggling over how much money he's going to pay for a flight. And then her just being like, you're so damn charming. And then they just start kissing. He literally met this woman less than 10 minutes ago. And then this was followed by mayhem and gunplay and poor choices and alcoholic beverages. It's inconceivable that this would happen. Right. But in a series, Chad, that is best known for Sean Connor holding down a woman in a barn Mm, i'll take it is it inconceivable of course it is but at least he's not raping her (laughs) and this movie gets high marks for the lead character not being a rapist look how we have lowered ourselves to back in merry old england chat let's let's get there that's where it's classy (laughs) a younger woman who claims to be money penny has been what (laughs) has been searching for James Bond on her own. And M comes out and is like, what the hell are you doing, Money Penny?" And she's like, well, I thought you'd like to know where James is. And he's like, of course I don't care. He's gone after Sanchez and he must be stopped. That's why I'm sending my man down to Isthmus. Then she waits for him to leave and then immediately is like, Q, you know how you owe me a favor and how you like James Bond so much? Q is on the case. He is now activated in this movie. We cut to Isthmus City where Pam and James Bond, they've shown up to stay at the El Presidente suite of Hotel Grande Incognito. (laughs) And their hotel room is bigger than most homes in the United States. And James Bond, he tells the bellhop, I want a case of champagne. The fancy stuff, corks only, no screw tops. And my secretary will be signing for it. And then Bond dips into the suitcase that he has, and it's just full of cash. I'm guessing this is money from the airplane heist that he didn't throw into the ocean. That's right. He's bankrolling his revenge plot with stuff. Stolen drug money. You know, heroic shit, Chad. Ham gets all bit out of shape because she was called a secretary. And James Bond says, look, sweet cheeks, your work is done. 
Uh, thanks for the flight down and the makeout sesh on the boat, and uh, here's some cash to get you back to wherever we were a few minutes ago in this movie. And Pam says, but I want to stay. I can help you. And James Bond says, okay, you can stay, but you got to go get yourself some clothes, preferably ones without bullet holes in the back. And there's no need for you to buy any panties. This is a James Bond movie. They're contractually forbidden on the set by all women. Actresses, crew, craft service attendants, no underwear is allowed for any of the lovely ladies. And if you have a problem with that, Pammy, go take it up with Cubby if you got a disagreement that you want to file with the office of who gives a shit. At this bank. Banco de Isthmus, that's what it's called. Bond wants to make a deposit in the same bank that Sanchez keeps his money in. Turns out he owns the whole damn bank. Mm. And so Bond poses as a guy who's got $5 million to deposit and is regularly going to have $5 million. The president of the bank, Senor Drysdale, he comes out and he's like, (laughs) what can we do for you, Mr. Bond, to get your money in our bank? Part of his deal here is like, I assume it's okay to have $2 million line of credit at the casino. (laughs) Whatever you say, Mr. Bond. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, because he says like, well, Sanchez owns the casino too. And then we hear Pam busting into this meeting, (laughs) just like, like somebody is clearly trying to keep her out of the room and she's just like get out of my way and then bust into this meeting between senior drysdale and james bond and james bond does a straight up wah, 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 wah. hello nurse he sees pam bouvier and we say it all the time on this show but does everything but take off his shoe and clomp himself in the head with it and it's quite funny i like the way your hair looks shorter and neater than mine do you have a comb or a brush i could use she does go with the much shorter haircut in this like she starts off kind of shoulder length and almost immediately has the that 90s power like the demi Moore kind of haircut mm-hmm. but we then cut to the craziest damn thing that happens in this movie mm. wayne newton shows up out of nowhere mm-hmm. and he is the host of this telethon and his name is professor joe butcher and he's dressed in this all-white three-piece suit on what i thought was a soundstage full of torches and fake stonework and sanchez is watching this telethon on tv and he's sitting there with this big green gila monster lizard on his shoulder that's his whipping lizard bro and then everyone who sees this movie has the same thought is that wayne newton yeah because it is and it's crazy to see him being like hey everyone I'm Professor Religion. Donate to me. And like, that's his whole shtick is he is a televangelist, apparently. But this is all a front for their drug selling empire. And Wayne Newton's requests for donation goals is actually the price of the drugs. And the people that are calling in are buying cocaine. And I only know this because I watched this movie multiple times in preparation for this show. Full disclosure, I think I just figured this out as I was talking out loud a few seconds ago. Ah, fair enough. The American money guy is like, hey, we can charge more for each kilo, and then is delighted as calls come in for orders of their drugs, and he's like, oh my god, they went for it. They totally, I, I that was totally crazy. I never thought they would go for that, and then they did. Sanchez has two main henchmen. He has his, he has kind of his number two, who's named Heller, and he has this other guy, number three, who's like the business guy, and I don't know his name. Number three, what's his name? And both of them are these Caucasian Americans. It's 
very unusual considering the characters in this film and where it's taking place. Like none of this makes sense whatsoever. Bond goes down to the casino and he requests a private table to play blackjack. And I was like, oh, Bo's going to like this because he's not playing Baccarat. I did appreciate that. Bond loses at blackjack and he says, since I'm so terrible at blackjack at your casino, would it be possible for me to play No Limit? Blackjack, I want to see how much money I can lose in one night. And so the pit boss calls up to Sanchez, who's sitting upstairs petting his lizard and watching Wayne Newton pretend to be a religious televangelist host or whatever. And the pit boss calls up Sanchez on the phone. He says, hey, I got this real jerk off down here who wants to raise the stakes. What should I do, boss? And that is an actual line of dialogue from this movie. (laughs) Yeah. He calls James Bond a jerk off. And Sanchez is just like, I will allow it. And, you know, then Bond wins big. Like, he starts off losing real big and then reverses scores. Like, he's down 250 grand, then suddenly he's up 250 grand. Yeah. And this necessitates another call from the pit boss. It's like, hey, you know that guy I talked to, talked to you about a little while ago? Are you talking about the jerk-off? <laughs> yes, I remember him. He's like, what do you? What the hell you want to do about this, boss? And he's like, I'm going to send Lupe down. Don't worry about it. And so he sends Lupe down to be the dealer. Bond Caesar, and he gives it a real, it's Lupe. Right. And when Lupe is coming down, this is where Bond angrily, like Pam is kind of hanging out there. When Lupe shows up, he's like, I need a minute. Go get me a martini. Shaken, not stood. Like he's so pissed off at this order and Pam, quite frankly, as he sends her away to have this moment with Lupe. I thought it was very funny. Pam goes over to get this booze and her her feelings are really upset, especially when she sees Lupe. Why is this character jealous? I think that Pam may be one of those classic 90s era obsessive females a la Basic Instinct or Fatal Attraction or Poison Ivy or Poison Ivy 2 or Single White Female or The Crush or Misery or Disclosure or The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. She does. She sees Lupe and it's just like, that bitch. And you're like, whoa, like you guys <laughs> fucked on a boat once. Bo, let me level set for you. James Bond is playing blackjack and winning. He tells Pam to go get him some booze. Mm-hmm. Okay. A female dealer comes down to take over for the guy who, let's say, shift just ended. And Pam's response is that fucking bitch <laughs> yeah fucking home wrecker she thinks she's gonna steal my man and leave me with these three kids in this mortgage fuck her i'm gonna feed her to a shark bitch and lupe is just immediately like you need to get on a plane and never come back you being here is fucking everything up for everybody and there's also this mysterious asian guy and a asian woman wandering around in the background casing bond so put a pin in that he'll show up a little bit later for about 30 seconds right and then Pam gets ditched with a martini while Bond demands that Lupe take him up to see Sanchez. Mm-hmm. And so in his office, in Sanchez's office, they have a meeting where Bond kind of suggests that he's a hitman who is out of work at the moment and is, has moved to the Republic of Isthmus or whatever it is. And Sanchez like takes his, his passport and his gun, his gun being seized yet again in this movie, and is like, you know what? We are going to talk again in a few days. For now, how about you get the fuck out of here? 
when he comes in for this meeting, you see Sanchez uh, hanging out with this giant green iguana lizard, and it's wearing a diamond necklace. And at the end of Diamonds Are Forever, Blofeld's cat meows, and it's wearing a diamond necklace. And I am going to live in a reality where the filmmakers behind this particular movie put the lizard in the diamond necklace to be kind of this South American equivalent to Blofeld's Persian white cat. So if you go south of the equator, iguanas are cats? Correct. Now, just making sure. Pigs are dogs. Uh-huh. And when you flush the toilet, the water comes out instead of going down. <laughs> That's why everybody has diarrhea when they drink the water. You pee in water fountains and you drink out of toilets. It's the topsy-turvy world. So James Bond returns to the hotel where he is informed that his uncle has arrived and was sent up to his room. Bond finds nothing really suspicious that a stranger is waiting for him. And when James Bond goes back into the El Presidente suite, he is met with 110-year-old Q. And James Bond just tackles Q and somehow doesn't break one of this old man's very brittle bones. And Q's just like, get off of me, Bond. And then Q proceeds to open up a suitcase that inside has an exploding alarm clock, which doesn't get used. Mm-hmm. There is some exploding toothpaste, mm-hmm. which does get I expected to see some exploding gum, maybe a shrunken head, regular size. Ah! There's a Polaroid camera that shoots a laser and makes a Mad Magazine style x-ray image of Bond and Q. And the photo of a person on the wall behind them. How does that work? How does it x-ray the bones of a person in a picture on the wall. You can't tell me that they're trying to make this a more serious bond when you're having people get their legs chomped off by rubbery sharks and laser Polaroids that make everyone go like all skeleton-y in the picture. This movie is fucking stupid. We do get a nice, now pay attention, 007. Always enjoy that line. Mm -hmm. Q says, I've got a gun here. It looks like a camera, but it is actually a gun, and it only works for your head. I don't know why I made it look like a camera. I was going to make it look like a pineapple, but I thought, who would believe a gun that looks like a pineapple? Yeah, it it makes no sense because, first of all, the camera looks older than it should. Like, it looks like a 60s style. Flash bulb, accordion front. (laughs) Right. No no one move. Yeah. Everyone stand still for three hours and then we'll capture it on this copper plate. Yeah, it looks like one of those era cameras. But again, as we've discussed, never gets even, there's never even a suggestion to use it as a camera. It's never like, oh, we were going to and then our plans got fouled up. It was just like, oh no, I just need a gun. I don't think it is a camera that's also a gun. I think it's a gun that looks like a camera, like those hamburger phones. Like, it's really a phone. Like, you're not going to eat it like a hamburger. So it's sort of like Optimus Prime. He's robot first, semi-second. Yeah, but he could still be a truck. What I'm saying is this isn't a camera. It's just a gun that looks like a camera. Just like the hamburger phone is just a phone. Doesn't serve any other purpose. The Polaroid laser, though. They don't use that in the movie. But it's both a laser gun and a Polaroid camera. Well, an X-ray Polaroid camera. That's the, But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the gun that looks like a camera. <laughs> Q is losing it in his old age. Yeah, this, this is the, the workshop of a madman. Something out of Muppet Labs. Right. <laughs> Pay attention, Bond. This is my assistant, B. Bond does tell Pam, he's like, uh, I guess you can beat it now. And also, I'm going to have Q work as my driver. You know, because Tibbet died two movies ago, and you make do with the guy you got on hand. 
Yeah, and so Pam is like, not only am I staying, I'm taking your bedroom. And so Bond has to sleep with Q, but not in the way that would have been more interesting for this franchise. He just sleeps in the same room. I don't know about that. I, it would be nice to see an old man go after Bond for once, turn about being fair play and all. <laughs> Pay attention, Bond. I need you ass up. Bond dresses up like a hotel waiter to get access to the hotel roof via the service elevator. And then Bond makes it up to the roof and then he makes his way down to the bulletproof glass that is outside of Sanchez's office. He saw that a little earlier. And then down on the ground is Q standing outside the car that they might use to get away in later. As Bond repels down the side of the building, he palms the bare breast of a statue carved into the building's facade because I guess he's James Bond. All work and no play makes the check a dull boy. I gotta think this was just an accident by the stuntman and the director or editor saw it and was like, oh, oh my gosh, he totally touched her boobie. Don't leave it in. Leave it in, leave it in. That is so awesome. It's hard to believe that these movies are directed by adults sometimes. It really, there is that very middle to early high school sense of humor about about all these movies that I find generally off-putting. But yeah, like John Glenn probably had his hand in his pants as soon as he saw that in the editing bay. His face was totally right in her whispering eye the whole time. This is the best night ever. Dude, I'm going to make some pizza rolls to celebrate. While he's scaling down th this wall and kind of, th the idea is he's planting this plastic toothpaste around the window. <laughs> okay. I, again, I saw this at the beginning of Goldfinger. Right. And so I'm like, eh, at least, you know, we're, we're sticking with the classics. But he comes down, he squirts it on there, and you're like, okay, so now he's going to get away. Cut to Bond just walking out of the lobby of the hotel, easy as you please. And he's like, hey, Q, why don't we get away casually, slowly, without any real sense of urgency? <laughs> yeah, well, they're not drawing attention, being a decent spy. Can you imagine letting this old man drive you around at night in a foreign city? You know his glaucoma, like, riddles his eyes with lens flares that would make jj abrams squeal with delight he's gonna hit a banana stand at about a quarter mile and he is done <laughs> driving in the republic of isthmus bond then basically just goes across the street to this other building that like a warehouse or it's under construction or something well we also get to see sanchez holding this who wants to be a drug lord franchise meeting and it's a bunch of asian businessmen and one of them is a guy named quang who was the asian guy who was with the woman casing out Bond in the casino earlier. During this conversation, as we've seen in multiple James Bond movies, Sanchez is saying, hey, I've got this great deal about you guys selling and buying drugs. Quang says, all right, look, I I'm calling bullshit on what you're doing here. We want to see the distribution center. And Sanchez says, all right, uh, we'll go we'll go see that tomorrow. But first, the whores! <laughs> and he opens up the doors and the Asian guys all go in and there's a bunch of Caucasian, six foot tall prostitutes ready to service their every sexual desire. Dude, there is one one lady in that room that's like six and a half feet tall she looks like a giant also <laughs> worth noting the word orientals is thrown around quite a bit which is uncomfortable i found that whenever someone asks if something's racist the answer is always yes right and if it's not yes the fact that they ask the question kind of makes it racist well, yeah, it, it's what's in your heart, Chad. But anyway, so Bond is across the street from all this and takes out, like, assembles his, almost said potato gun, his camera gun. <laughs> well, I'm just going to lob a russet right through the window. Thunk. <laughs> thunk, thunk. Who is shooting mashed potatoes? Thunk, thunk, thunk. 
How dare you not also shoot butter and sour cream? It's coming from that guy across the street. They're coming out of a camera. Are you telling me that there is someone shooting mashed potatoes at me with a camera? Apparently so, sir. <laughs> this is one for the journal. You know what I'm saying? It is a weird day. Um, <laughs> you never know what your day is going to bring. I said that to Felix Leiter recently. He got married. He also busted me. I broke out. He had a reception. He jumped out of... I'll tell you, just rewind this movie up till now and you'll see he had quite the day. Let me tell you about the day I had recently. I, w- <laughs> I woke up in the morning. I went to a small compound, as Bo would call it. I caught my concubine having sex with a man in panties. Women panties. Ridiculous. I grabbed my lizard. I whipped her ass, as you normally would do. We drove to the airport. Out of nowhere, the cops show up. They start firing bullets. I steal an airplane. I fly away. I'm finally thinking I'm going to get home, have a nice espresso. You know what happens? Some jackass hooks a cable around my plane, catches me like a fish. I get arrested and then get into the back of a van. The van crashes off of a bridge. Scuba divers save me. I get into a submarine. I go back to a separate compound. The same day, I track down the the CIA agent who caught me up in the air. And I decide to go feed him to a shark, which I do. And finish the third season of Gilmore Girls. Just on the back end of all of that. I call that day a win. Uh, so Pam shows up in the office while he's, you know, Bond is across the street sizing up the uh, the, the situation. Well, his plan is that he's going to blow open the window. Which he does. And then shoot Sanchez with his camera potato gun. Right. And he gets the first part of that done. You know, Sanchez is scrambling and Bond has the sights trained on Sanchez. He's going to kill him. End of movie. Everybody go home an hour early. <laughs> but because he does not have a harpoon gun gun in his hand he cannot defend himself against two ninjas that show up to beat the shit out of it holy shit chad when ninjas show up in this movie and knock out james bond as he is attempting to shoot someone with a camera gun now here's the thing yes this is not the first time ninjas have shown up in a james bond movie there is a swarm of ninjas in you only live twice and they are referred to as ninjas so it's not unprecedented that ninjas exist in the james bond universe mm-hmm. but even in this movie when two ninjas show up in whatever isthmus city it's a real question mark over your <laughs> yeah, I, like I'll grant you if there is a James Bond film set in in the Asian, like the Far East, right? Then sure, I get that. Yeah, and if James Bond himself is dressed up as an uncomfortable Asian stereotype, naturally, even more acceptable slash less acceptable, right? But expected in this movie, the last thing I expected to see was ninjas thwart this assassination attempt, and I was delighted. And then James Bond wakes up, and it turns out that it's the the guy lady from the casino we saw earlier who was also part of the who wants to be a drug dealer franchise opportunity meeting right because it it turns out they're hong kong dea (laughs) they're infiltrating sanchez's operation and have been doing so for years so they don't want bond to fuck this up and also there's a guy named fallon there that mi6 and that's the guy that m sent to come retrieve him and he shows up with like a is it safe hyper dermic needle and is like i'm just going to knock him out and then take him back 
to London and have my way with him. How delightful. Yeah, it, like he's a real creep. You know, it looks like it's lights out for James Bond, Chad. He's tied to a table about to be injected with some kind of Ruhypnol uh, while mm-hmm. the Hong Kong DA agents look on and laugh at him mock him but then an even crazier thing happens because a tank rolls up and fires a couple of shells into this farmhouse where everybody's hiding out blows up the farmhouse killing the ninjas killing our mi6 agent with the hypodermic needle fallon as soon as he's in this movie he's gone and then sanchez and his number two heller they show up and they find that quang is still alive but then he eats a cyanide pill and kills himself this movie is so terrible but luckily they find james bond all tied up to this table and Sanchez thinks that all of the dead guys in this farmhouse, that they were the ones who attempted to kill him with a potato camera gun and that James Bond is his friend and not a foe. That's right. And this is where the Yojimbo stuff that you mentioned in uh, the introduction comes into play because now James Bond will insinuate himself into Sanchez's good graces and start whispering in his ear being a little bit of an Iago. Uh-huh. And and so James Bond wakes up in this big fancy bedroom. Yeah, he's on the set of Roger and Hammerstein's The King and I. <laughs> and he, when he wakes up, he kind of strolls out and finds Sanchez waiting for him at this big outdoor bar slash pool attached to his house. Sanchez is like, you need to tell me about you or maybe I kill you. And he's like, no, I'm a former British agent, but... The others recognized me. They said they were going to kill me, you know. And he's just like, hmm, this adds up. You seem like a man I can trust. Lupe also tells James Bond that Stan Lee is showing up that night on his boat. And I'm guessing that Stan Lee can maybe theoretically identify James Bond, even though Stan Lee only saw Bond for a brief second escaping off of the seaplane, jumping into the cocaine-filled water. No, he saw him when he went to investigate the warehouse for the first time. Like, he got a tour and everything as this... There's no way Stan Lee connected the guy from the fish emporium and the dude who shot the guy with the harpoon gun. You and I can't even agree as to whether or not Sanchez was whipping her with a lizard or three dildos Uh and we know each other we're on the same page (laughs) i don't think this guy can figure that shit out so crest yeah lupe is like crest is coming in tonight and then when sanchez gets around to like so do you know anything more about these people who might be plotting against me and bond uh, is like well i didn't get a name but i know they were expected to be paid by someone coming in tonight someone in a boat someone whose name sounds like toothpaste who has a pencil thin mustache and salt and pepper hair (laughs) someone who's a mortal enemy of the cavity creeps you know the kind of man who would show up in more cameos and films than you can even begin to imagine i'm pretty sure he was in v you know that movie about lizard aliens where they ate that hamster that was shocking is the movie done yet and then Sanchez is like, hmm, that is very interesting, Mr. Bond. Oh, one other thing I forgot to mention to you when those guys were torturing me back in the farmhouse before you showed up in your tank, they were saying that a guy named Stan Lee's gonna come into town and give him a lot of money and cash. And they also said that they was gonna try to screw over a guy named Sanchez, who he said was a real poser and a douchebag. Wait a minute, your name is Sanchez. You don't think they meant you, do you? Probably not. 
Are you a douchebag? So Lupe then helps Bond. Like uh, Sanchez fucks off and does you know drug dealer stuff, and Lupe is helping Bond escape this compound by taking a boat. And she says she's going to go shopping and kind of dodges the guards that want to keep her you know in this house. You say now he's in a compound. This is a compound. I just can't. I don't even know anymore with you. And then. James Bond <laughs> is just hanging on to the side of the boat. And so when they take, like, Lupe takes off to go shopping, what, what's really happening is Bond is taking the boat back, uh, his old hotel room, and immediately is like, Q, you and Pam need to pack up and get the fuck out of here. Uh, Bond grabs Pam, and she's like, wait, what are you doing to me? And Bond <laughs> throws her on the bed and grabs her own gun out of her little thigh holster and uh, is kind of holding her hostage. That's all you're talking to, Sanchez. I think you might be a spy. And she's like, no, James, you don't understand. I was in a deal to get missiles back because of this threat that Sanchez made about blowing up a plane, and we were given license by the government to investigate this, James. Wait a minute. You're telling me that Sanchez, a fantastically hospitable villain of the movie who also doesn't like to wear socks, which is gross. He's also into selling drugs, but he's also into getting missiles? And he's also into airline terrorism? And running casinos? And buying real estate? And rigging the stock market? And influencing commodity futures? And he's trying to sell essential oils to his friends on Facebook? This guy's got so many side hustles. He's a real Latin Steve Harvey, he is. I was once known as the Latin Steve Harvey. That was a <laughs> glorious summer. I thought it was the Latin Steve Urkel. Maybe. I don't know. Bond is like, hey, I'm gonna go make a withdrawal. And so Bond, Q, and Pam are all taken this harbor master's boat out to get to the boat of this dude martin crest aka stanley the idea is that they're playing harbor master right like the harbor pilot shows up and they take over the boat and steer it in did they steal this harbor pilot boat how else did they get it did they buy it maybe he's got five million dollars in a suitcase or in the bank or under his bed or they stole it it doesn't matter yeah, right so she shows up as the harbor pilot to pilot the ship in and he's using some kind of crazy accent that's like spanish by way of moscow all the men on stanley's boat that she's coming into pilot they're giving it like a, 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 a woman driving a boat what's next a monkey running for congress <laughs> Right. At the last second, because she is just a an agent of chaos in this movie, uh -huh. Pam is just like, I don't know what I'm doing. See you later, jackass. And hits the throttle and then just bails, <laughs> like runs out. And the boat like rams through a gangplank and, and kind of beaches the boat a little bit. Stan Lee shows up and is like, hey, what the hell is going on up here? And the captain is like, the harbor pilot went crazy. And I love that explanation. I'm like, James, I tell you. This lady showed up, grabbed the wheel, hit the gas, and then fucking ran out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Dear Diary, you won't believe the day I had. Bond dives into the water to go underneath this boat, and Pam makes her way down into the sub room. This is the room with the decompression chamber, and it's where the submarine comes up inside the boat. Right. As soon as he clears the water, he immediately starts giving her some shit about, you need to stick to flying. And it's like, hey man, like I just got down here and opened this up so you didn't drown underneath the boat. This movie also does something 
really terrible here uh-huh. where we as the audience have no idea what's going on as they're pulling off their dastardly deeds because Pam just strips off her clothes and she's in her underwear and then Bond gives it a oh I can see your nibbles and your gobbles uh-huh. it appears that cold water makes some hard things small and soft and it makes soft small things kind of hard I'm referring to McGill shift and your headlights love and then Sanchez shows up and he gets on Stanley's boat everybody's on the boat now first off nobody's really discussing the crash that just happened into the like the dock 100% not nope they just let that go and then Sanchez says you owe me a lot of money what is it and then Stanley says, hey, let's talk inside. So we come back down below and James Bond and Pam, who's still in her underwear, they are putting something in this oversized decompression tank that looks like a bank safe. Then there's just, to me, there was just this element of confusion of what are they doing? Why is she in her underwear? What are they putting in there? So we come back to Sanchez, yeah. who is sitting across from Stan Lee and has this look of total disbelief where he's really just saying like, let me get this straight. He water skied behind the plane using a harpoon gun. Then he flew up into the air, climbed into the seaplane, beat up both of the pilots, and then threw out all of my money into the ocean. <laughs> and Stan Lee's like, it was the craziest damn thing I ever saw. Sanchez, he flew away like a boyd. Do you want to read my journal? He stabbed all the cocaine in the ocean and a bunch of strippers cannonballed in and all the fish were high. A couple of them decided they were going to open up their own bar and restaurant. One of them I named Prince Namor, King of the Deep. And then Sanchez is like, you know, let's uh, take a look around the ship. Maybe you don't have maybe some suspicious money stored somewhere. And he goes down, and, and Lupe was like, hey, you know, he asked her earlier, is there anywhere on the ship that he would have a safe? And she says, ah, maybe in the submarine room. And so that's where they go. And they open up the pressurized chamber to find a bunch of loose cash just scattered around. Which is what Bond and Pam were smuggling in, but they didn't tell us the audience that. So Sanchez is surprised, and we as the audience are like, huh, okay. And so Sanchez is like, this is very upsetting and so he just throws stan lee into the pressure chamber and Uh seals him inside and then cranks the pressure way up yep and stan lee kind of screams inside he's like excelsior right hey don't do this this is gonna get gory and sanchez then grabs a fire axe the kind that let's say max zorin would use to battle james bond sure your max zorin's your jack torrance's that kind of axe and he just whacks the air hose to the tank you know gives it a real thwack which yep. makes the pressure immediately disperse which then makes stanley's head swell and explode like scanners yes pretty fucking good chad is all right it's so out of play it, well i can't say that there isn't precedent for this in the james bondiverse because in live and let die kananga aka mr big he does swallow a compressed air pill which causes his body to blow up like a balloon and explode in the finale of that film so it's been done before maybe so chad but this was satisfying to me as a person watching this i felt good about this movie i know you did when i saw this i was like oh bo loves this part oh yeah after this goes down bond just drops q and pam off and it's like look i'm gonna be safer on my own both of you's borderline incompetent and then he just puts on a jaunty captain's hat and takes off in this boat on the back of the head exploding the moment where james bond puts on his little sailor cap yep it's again it's terrible 
but it is hilarious. Back down in the belly of this ship, one of the henchmen asks Sanchez, what do we do about the money? And Sanchez says, hmm, launder it. That had to be a chore to clean up that guy's insides that were now his outsides. Mm -hmm. I went out with a girl once whose grandfather shot himself in the head in the bathroom of a house. And she told me that she and her brother had to go in and clean it up like after they took away the big pieces. That's the kind of thing that sticks with you. Oh, sure. If if the (laughs) alcohol doesn't drown at all. So we cut back to Bond, who is sneaking back into Sanchez's place and into his bedroom and giving a meh, meh. But then Sanchez busts into his room like, haha, I'm going to catch you, my friend. I don't think that's it. I think it's legitimately like, haha, my friend, here is some cash. Thank you for making me turn on my men. At this point, Sanchez comes into Bond's room and wants to reward him for giving him information that led to him making a man's head explode. That's right. Mr. Bond, let me tell you about my day. I got up this morning. I went for a run. You and I talked. I checked my stock portfolio. I called my brother in Milan. I went for another run. I'm training for a tin game. I went over. I get on this boat. This man tells me a crazy story about the guy who water skied behind the seaplane and threw money out of the window. Crazy story. I go downstairs. I find money on the boat that belongs to me. I put the man in a decompression chamber. I turn it on, hit it with an X. His head explodes in front of me. Blood and guts everywhere on the money. You never know what the day is going to bring, Mr. Bond. That's the lesson I want to share with you. Also, tomorrow you're coming with me. Because of today, I want you to see what tomorrow brings. Uh, Sanchez fucks off, and like it's a bedroom farce, Lupe slips in right behind him. Yes. And it's just like, James, I'm so scared of what's going to happen. Hello, nurse. Why don't we have sex? Right. They fuck, but not before she's like, James, take me with you. We'll talk about this tomorrow. By the way, I won't be here when you wake up. I leave through the bathroom window, don't you know? So the next morning, Lupe goes to the El Presidente suite at the hotel where Pam and Q are just packing up their bags. Lupe comes in, again, who everyone there assumes is a blackjack dealer. Mm -hmm. And Lupe tells Pam, Senor James Bond is in danger. He came to my place last night and we had sex multiple times. Sanchez is taking James Bond somewhere. It's not very clear in the script and a lot of the details were left out, but I... I love James Bond for reasons that are equally absent from the screenplay. See you later. So then Lupe leaves and Pam gets all pouty and she says, I love him so much. I'll be damned if I'm going to help James Bond. This is bullshit. Yeah. And Q is just like, listen, Pam, you know, sometimes field operatives have to fuck. Calm down. Calm down. Just because James Bond put his sticky in her wicket doesn't mean he cares for her. You see, James Bond is a sex addict. The act itself is meaningless with no emotional connection to him whatsoever. If it makes you feel better, James Bond and I have had sex countless times and he doesn't remember any of them. Regardless if it was he or I who was the initiator. Once his trousers are removed, he goes into a fugue state, blacking out while remaining conscious. It is perhaps a blessing and a curse. Oh, I've said too much. Look into this pen. The flashing <laughs> light will take away all those annoying memories of my confession. Ah! Oh my god! 
So Pam then goes to get in her plane and the mechanics are like, uh, sorry, lady. Sanchez said to give your plane the once over Like what? So then she's like, oh, that's okay. I'll go steal a plane from over there. Which she does. She basically steals a crop duster lessine on Pick 6 Movies, uh, Kingdom of the Spiders. And then Bond, it turns out, is going to Professor Wayne Newton's joint with Sanchez. Like, he's tagging along on this big adventure with all the potential drug-dealing investors to see the facility where all this, all the magic happens, you know? It's this Olymptech Meditation Institute? Right. I honestly thought that the telethon was on a soundstage or something but it was being filmed in front of this big stone like hideout or something yeah it's like he keeps saying it it was rebuilt using the original stone or something so assumedly it is like some ancient like aztec temple or something there's also a shot where there's a helicopter and benicio del toro is on it and he has the two stinger missiles that were mentioned earlier and sanchez is there and his number two heller they all get into the chopper and these stinger missiles aren't very big they're like four feet long i don't know why but i thought that they would look like some of those early apollo rockets (laughs) and then like they're doing a moonshot yeah something like that i'm going to put the first drug dealer on the moon Sanchez, he shows up at this institute in his helicopter and like a trapdoor opens up and they fly down inside. And then we see the Asian investors, they show up at this meditation institute because this is the facility where they are manufacturing cocaine. Right. How is this a James Bond movie? Yeah, the whole deal is that they're dissolving the drugs in gasoline. Okay. And and so that's how they're kind of smuggling it across and then they filter it out and blah, blah, blah. But Pam is hitchhiking like she stashes the plane and is hitchhiking to professor wayne newton's meditation center she just shows up at the front gate and she's like i've got a satchel full of money to give to wayne newton and they're like well right this way young lady while that's going on dario is wait who's dario dario is benicio del toro Oh, sorry. I didn't pay attention. And and he's looking at, it, like, keeps kind of stalking James Bond, who is wearing a mask because when they all go into this facility, they're like, hey, everybody put on your N95s because if you just stand around breathing all this cocaine, it can be quite a rush. And we don't necessarily want you making decisions in that state. So okay. everybody's wearing hospital masks. Bond is keeping his on a little too long because Benicio Del Toro is really giving him the stink eye. Yeah, because he beat him up with a sword fish and a shotgun at barnacle bob's seaside crab shack right and so while this is going on there's this whole side hustle with wayne newton and pam where he sees the money like he shows up and he's like well why don't you come with me to my room and they go to his room it's clear that like he's gonna try to put the moves on her and fuck Pam and she's leading him on and then gets the keys from him like she pulls her thigh gun on him and steals his keys and locks him in his meditation slash bedroom and now she is loose in the compound think about the words that are coming out of your mouth right now but Chad I swear to god this feels like a dream that you're describing to me if you're just like the lady from law and order she gets a ride in a golf cart with Wayne Newton and he starts singing Dr. Shane Mm-hmm. 
darling, dark shade. And, like, and then she tries to shoot him with a gun. And then Benicio Del Toro is there. And they're in this science lab. And the scientician is explaining how they extract cocaine from the gasoline. And then Sanchez kind of gives this knowing eyebrow raise. Like, mm, something might be up. Which I was like, why is Sanchez getting suspicious? Do they think that James Bond is up to something? Nothing about James Bond up until this point has given anyone pause to think he might be doing something nefarious until the moment where when doing this mr wizard example of like oh yeah don't worry because all the fumes go up in smoke and they like yeah right there's this small (laughs) explosion and james bond uses that as a distraction to then look over there right like hit dario and then grab a beaker and throw it at this counter which starts a giant fire sanchez totally cut corners on safety in this facility there's no water sprinkler system if anything catches on fire this place is burning to the ground oh once osha gets wind of this he'll never run a drug facility again um <laughs> uh, but yeah everybody's like running around all crazy and chaotic and then bond gets caught like they actually get their hands on bond 19 year old benicio del toro goes hey i know that guy he's an informant and then number two heller he grabs james bond and benicio del toro just starts punching him in the stomach the way that someone would allegedly punch the founder of the three stooges ted healy in the parking lot of a hollywood nightclub was was this a quiet homage (laughs) to the murderous habits of this producer cubby this look familiar have him spit up more blood yeah that's how he did it nyuck 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 asshole can you make him look more irish (laughs) shut of a bitch so fire is just erupting all around this compound yes honestly you should really take the pummeling outside you can just as easily do it out there as you can do it in here all of this punching is going on yeah and once they get their hands on bond this is where they kind of tie him up and they throw him on this conveyor belt what are we doing here just shoot him this is real stupid it's a machine that they throw the bricks of drugs into and it chews up the bricks and mixes it with the gasoline right but they're gonna throw bond in there and sanchez gives him a whole speech about like you know when you're when it's up to your knees you will be kissing my ass to kill you james bond he's like i don't know about that never kissed a man's behind but i'm willing to try q doesn't count sanchez is like you know i don't have time to stick around and watch you die dario make sure james bond dies And then he leaves. So it's up to young Benicio del Toro to make sure that nothing happens here. That Bond makes his way into this machine. Sanchez runs off and he's like, forget the building. We've got $500 million in cash from our franchisees. We've got two 18-wheeler tankers full of Colombian gold and gasoline. We're leaving now. And then Sanchez is number three. What's his name? He's like, but we got to deal with the Orientals. And Sanchez is like, oh, 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 oh. that's racist. It's insensitive. Look, come on now. You're grouping that large number of people by a single word and it is a complete plethora of cultures and civilizations give the people their respect and 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 i disagree with the 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 converse logic that people from the west were referred to as occidentals 
It's offensive no matter which side of the equation you're on. Give me a break. Bond slips to the end of the conveyor belt, almost goes in, catches himself on the end by the restraints. And so young Benicio del Toro has to climb out on this conveyor belt and using his <laughs> big sticker yeah. is trying to stab at Bond to cut his bonds, uh, no pun intended, to spill him into this machine. He spits on it at one point. Yeah, that's how you know he was going to win an Oscar. Bond gets free, though. Like, he, he succeeds in cutting the Bonds, but James Bond, you know, gets back onto the conveyor belt and flips young Benicio Del Toro into the machine, which grinds him up. And in a movie that has legs being eaten off by sharks and heads exploding, kind of disappointing by the body being crunched up by the drug machine. At one point, Pam shows up during all this. She's dressed up like the Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan because she stole one of the white robes that all the bad guys run around in in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> at the end and i'm like you think her day ended up the way she thought where she was like mm, maybe i'll have sex with james bond and then she was just like oh my god i've got to help q pack oh my god he's in the bathroom so long oh my god who is this lupe person bitch i'm gonna kill her oh my god i'm gonna go get on my plane and just leave oh my god i'm gonna have to steal a plane oh my god i can't believe i've landed this compound oh my god is that wayne newton oh my god is he singing donkey chain oh my god is he gonna rape me oh my god i'm gonna kill wayne newton oh my god i'm dressed like a clansman oh my god i just turned off a conveyor belt and saved this guy named james bond Oh my god, I cannot wait to see what the rest of this day involves. Because get ready, sweetheart, it's about to get really weird. I think that one page of her journal is just the word shut up over and over again at different <laughs> angles different sizes different fonts just her screaming at the voices in her head she boldly writes it in big balloon letters and then fills it in with the word shut up <laughs> right so one of the things that we overlooked is that when bond is hanging off of the conveyor belt he and sanchez are still having a little back and forth and bond is still whispering in his ear and he's like hey what do you know about stinger missiles he's like i think maybe your number two hella he might have them and he might be another one betraying you yeah that's it hella you know why would you believe if you're Sanchez why believe Bond now like you know that he's he was trying to fuck you the whole time cuz this movie's awful right that's the answer is this is poorly written but the logic does not hold up at all like i understand they're trying to do you jimbo but the whole deal with that is that nobody knew that the samurai was lying to the other one so sanchez goes down and he finds number two heller monkeying with the stinger missiles and he's like hombre amigo what are you doing over there and he's like hey uh, i'm definitely not trying to double crush you at all and then we come back to james bond and pam and they're just walking along and then a forklift crashes through through the walls and there's a body stuck on one of the prongs of the forklift and pam's like oh my god that's number two heller and i was like well thank you pam for saying that because i had no idea who this dead body was and why it crashed through a wall oh it's so good also everything is exploding and it's on fire around them people are screaming pulling out their hair it's total chaos and what says an action movie sequence more than a golf cart chad because that's what we get to bond and pam find their way to a golf cart to run away from this male unfolding behind them they speed past wayne newton who's got the satchel full of money that pan showed up with and pam just reaches over and gives a real <laughs> and takes the money from wayne newton and then james bond and pam get in the plane that they get in the plane that she's right stole. 
And then they take off with the the facility kind of exploding behind. Them. And they are going after multiple 18-wheelers and that are full of gasoline and cocaine. And there is a car that has Sanchez in it. And I think there's another car with the Asian investors. But I don't think I know what happens to them at the end of the movie. Maybe they just get away. You know what else uh, this broccoli little, little fucker saw is the Road Warrior. Because that's all this is. It's it's a, a convoy of semis and trucks being taken out one by one. The plane flies over the top of two 18-wheelers connected to these big rig tankers that are full of gasoline and cocaine. And James Bond, for some reason, just climbs out of the plane and jumps off onto top of one of these tankers. And then Sanchez, he leans out of his moving car and just starts firing an Uzi wildly at James Bond. Mm-hmm. Bond tumbles down while holding on to the bottom of the tanker a la Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark. I did like this one moment where the driver of this tanker gives it a real, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. And someone's shooting at him. Yeah, and then Bond just tosses this guy out of the truck. Yep. And Sanchez then tells one of his flunkies on the radio, he's like, meet me at El Paso de Diablo, or, you know, whatever it is. Uh, right. You know, we'll cut him off there. Bond is driving one of these semis now, trying to get past another semi. Yes. And then almost kills a poor pineapple farmer in a, a pickup truck of his own. Yeah. But using his fancy driving, James Bond kind of incapacitates this other truck, just kind of ramming it. Crashes it off the side of the road. Right. That other driver was listening to Richie Valensing La Bamba with nudie pictures behind him. <laughs> That's why it was PG-13. And then, Chad, maybe the third craziest fucking thing in this movie happens, which is... Go on. A high bar where James Bond driving this semi is staring down the barrel of a sort of half-assed roadblock. More importantly, a Stinger missile is aimed directly at him in this semi-truck. Right. What does James Bond do? But he hits this construction ramp or something conveniently placed there Uh and sends the entire semi on one side so that it's on nine wheels, I guess. Yeah, it's like 45 degree angle. Right. And so... So the missile gets fired, passes below the semi, which is up on one side. Then Bond drives this semi over the goon's jeep. The only thing that they they managed to do to stop James Bond's insane mastery of the semi as a vehicle is they managed to shoot some tires out. Well, yeah, they should have done that shit earlier. Of course. You made that sound so much better than it is on film because it's just awful. And then with James Bond's tire shot out, the truck is kind of out of control and then the 18-wheeler is it jackknifes and it turns completely around. He's coming down backwards about the speed of sound. Now, a lot of folks seen him and they all say he had his head out the window yelling, clear the way when he got to the bottom, safe and sound. Everybody asked Bandit how he made it down. He said, folks with the truck picks up too much speed. I just run along beside it and I drug my feet. It's from uh, Smokey and the Bandit yeah. soundtrack. Smokey and the Bandit, episode one, season one of Pick Six Movie. Uh Uh-huh. Some of my most important files are still in that folder. (laughs) These henchmen run down after James Bond, and then Pam flies overhead in her stolen plane, and she does this touch-and-go and sprays dirt and rocks in the air, hitting the pursuing henchmen and thus helping out James Bond. At this point, James Bond releases a tanker from the front of the 18-wheeler rig that he was driving or was near him, and the back part of this tanker rolls down a nearby hill and crashes into a different tanker and explodes 
explodes into a fireball because it's full of cocaine and gasoline. Right. So that fire's like super excited to get to work. The funniest moment in the whole movie happens here where Sanchez is number three. What's his name? The business guy. When this explosion happened, he just goes, shit yeah well he's pissed off like he's uh, as you said the money guy so he's kind of stomping his feet in the desert like can you believe how much money we're losing like we lost this facility we've lost all these tanks and then sanchez is just like you know i think you'd have been trained me too and they just shoots him with an uzi such a stupid movie i can give you breadcrumb trails on the other betrayals this one i'm like when did bond say that the money guy eh, i guess he did you know what it, this is a real situation of never trust whitey oh a hundred percent now i had both sides of this quite frankly over at the sanchez camp he's got the one more tanker and he's in that with a driver bond's got the semi not the entire truck but the yeah he's got like the cab right the front part then there's a pickup truck with a bunch of dudes with guns they just commandeer it <laughs> out of nowhere yeah and so there's a big fireball of the ro- road from all the chaos that bond's been causing as he's going in pursuit of sanchez james bond really puts a cherry on top of how this is the worst james bond movie of all time at this point in the film he pops a wheelie in this semi chad i know I've seen this multiple times. To, You're, it doesn't get better just talking about it. The memories are too painful. To go through this fire in the middle of the road and then comes down on the other side of it and, like, you know, lands on all, all his wheels. The pickup, the, first of all, the dudes at the back of the pickup truck are like, uh, fuck this. And they immediately jump out as soon as they realize that the driver intends to drive through this inferno. And the driver's like, hey, watch this shit, man. <laughs> yeah. And drives through, comes out on the other side with the tires on fire. Well, that's just science, bud. <laughs> right. The, and those dudes are kind of done for at this point. We get more Indiana Jones ripoffs where Bond puts the truck on autopilot. I don't even think that's a thing. Mm-hmm. And then he kicks out the front windshield, climbs out on the hood of the truck, hangs off by the hood ornament, and then jumps over onto the back of Sanchez's tanker truck full-size 18-wheeler. Right. And so Sanchez is, is taking some shots at him, but eventually he's out of bullets like like happens bond then opens up the valve on the back of this truck with all the gas drugs in it uh-huh. and it spills the gas drugs all over the road in the pickup that's got the the wheels on fire is coming in pursuit their tires light this gas drugs combo mm-hmm. and it explodes the pickup truck which goes off a cliff as pam's plane flies by and an early tribute to the forza horizon series of video games it's one of those shots that I'm like, eh, it probably cost a little money. Did you think that the flaming pickup truck was going to crash into the plane the way it shot? If it had, it would have been glorious. And it it's not quite, it's cool, but I don't know that I expected it to happen, but I really hoped it would. I thought it was bullshit because the truck heads directly toward the plane and then it goes behind it, which I don't like the head fake. Let me tell you about the transport ship Chewbacca was on. Stop. Um. Just stop, please. <laughs> Pam continues flying along and the tanker truck, uh, again, has this trail of fire behind it, a la Yosemite Sam with a barrel of gunpowder. Bond turns off the spigot at this point before the flames catch up to him and blows up the whole truck. Then James Bond gets up on top of the tanker and then Pam flies overhead. Sanchez shoots the last stinger missile at Pam's plane, but it only pierces the back rudder. So Pam is forced to land the plane. Meanwhile, the driver of the remaining non-blown up 18-wheeler, he just slams on the brakes, sending James Bond bouncing off the back of the truck. And it's pretty fantastic. Yeah. At this point with the truck, 
truck stops, Sanchez is like, I'm going to fucking kill this guy. And takes his axe. and Or no, I'm sorry, it's a machete he's got. Yeah. He leaves the, the truck and there's a nice moment where he's walking towards the back of the truck and then realizes that James Bond is immediately beside him. And he's just like, what the fuck? And turns around and swings the machete real fast and hard. Bond gets out of the way, but it severs the semi's brake lines. So now all of a sudden, this semi is in slow motion creeping away from Sanchez as he is looking for Bond and then kind of grabs the ladder on the back at the last minute as it passes by like now out of control rolling down this hill well the driver jumps out and as it rolls i'm thinking well everyone's clearly dead in this movie now there's no way they survive that but then bond and sanchez aren't dead right and sanchez is they're both kind of covered in dirt and blood and cocaine and gasoline and sanchez walks over to james bond with this machete in his hands and i'm thinking oh this might be good he's gonna violently butcher james bond in front of us and then sanchez says you could have had everything and i'm like what does that mean and bond says don't you want to know why why i did all of this destroying your empire you know excluding all of your banking operations and your interest in casinos and your ties to political corruption i mean all that's still intact but all the drug stuff don't you want to know why i destroyed all that and before sanchez can say no i don't care bond pulls out the lighter that felix lighter gave him and sets sanchez on fire the least surprising thing to happen in the film is james bond killing our main villain with this lighter it's kind of a bummer and then everything explodes everything the mountains explode the sky explodes the air explodes (laughs) everything around them explodes and then pam shows up in the the semi that bond abandoned right the one he jumped out naked looking (laughs) yeah she's like hey james bond it looks like you've had quite an adventure how about I give you a ride home? Let me tell you about my day, love. I had no idea it was going to end like this. So the thing ends at a swanky party at night. Who's throwing this party? Lupe, I think she somehow has inherited all this. Right. She's just his mistress. And so she is saying goodbye to James Bond. She's like, you know, you could stay and be here and be part of my drug empire, maybe. Uh, I got no time for the old in and out, love. I've just come to check the meter. And she's got uh, the iguana. And he's like, I thought you hated that thing. She's like, oh, I changed my mind because it's got a diamond collar on it, I guess. Pam sees Lupe, you know, the blackjack dealer, talking with James Bond. And she's like, this is bullshit. This is bullshit. Fuck James Bond. So she just runs down to the lower level. Kills a guy with her heel on the way down. (laughs) I hate him. I love him. I hate him. Bond just leaps off a balcony and lands in a swimming pool down below where Pam is pouting. So then Bond swims over in this swimming pool and he grabs Pam and he pulls her into the water with him. And Pam just laughs and giggles, which for the record, no woman in the history of ever who was pulled into a swimming pool while wearing a formal gown has giggled and laughed i'm going to give this movie the benefit of the doubt because this is a crazy person fair enough She starts gnawing at her wrists or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> We're going to be together forever, aren't we, James? Up top, Q is watching, and he decides to double fist, you know, these glasses of champagne, which I'm like, easy, old man. Remember your heart medicine. And then Bond is kissing Pam, and then Pam says to Bond, why don't you wait till you're asked? And then Bond says, well, because I'm a sexual deviant whose every act of affection is a deep-seated cry for help, I should seek some professional guidance. I've never known true love, except for that time I married Lacey or Macy or Crazy. 
It's something like that. And then they start kissing again. The camera pans over to this giant fish sculpture that winks at the camera. Roll credits the end. (laughs) Best James Bond movie. Worst James Bond movie ever. There's no international intrigue, really. It's just a drug runner story. James Bond, as we have noted, seems woefully disinterested in being part of this adventure. Yes. The Bond girls in question are kind of terrible. Scratch kind of. They're pretty, but yeah, right. Just awful actresses. Not Talisa Soto's fine, but she just has very little to do in this. You know, Robert Davi is kind of fun, I guess. Um, I like this movie because it's dumb as dirt. And it gets weird. And I like that about it. I, I as, as a non-James Bond enthusiast, this is the most fun I've had so far this season. Just because of how cover to cover stupid it is. But stuff uh, keep, keeps happening. Like there's no detour to a genealogy museum or a racetrack or any of that bullshit where we're just standing around talking about stuff for better or worse we are into the adventure and shit is happening from pretty much jump until the end of the movie the biggest problem is that it's just one it's poorly written it's it's just awful but also the production value is terrible the only thing i think they spent money on was the last 15 minutes where they just blow things up in fantastic fashion but it's not enough to to make up for the other two hours and 40 minutes or however long this movie is to watch yeah it's a slog like it's it's too long by half an hour for sure easy but again you know for the reasons stated above there are sharks eating legs off and heads exploding in pressure chambers and semis going on doing wheelies to get through fireballs and at a certain point it just wears me down i'm like all right i guess i'm entertained by this what's coming up on the next episode oh chad (laughs) it is the pierce brosnan star you may have heard of pierce brosnan from the introduction to this very episode he it turns out eventually became james bond oh my yeah wait till you hear the intro chat okay and then eventually starred with another oscar winner halle berry it's called die another day there is an ice palace and halle berry famously coming out of the surf at about the same time that she famously showed off the rest of her boobs yeah that was in swordfish right she doesn't take off her top in this movie that's not bond like at all isn't it chad it's all about the tease not about the reveal. <laughs> Tales of Ribaldry. <laughs> oh my god, Wimbled this season in in two episodes. So come back and see us in two weeks' time as we will die another day. As always, like, rate, review, send us a line. You can find us on social media. We love to hear from everybody whenever you want to tell us what's going on and how much you like james bond or don't like james bond or whatever else so bo any final thoughts you have on license to kill uh, it's bo killifer now mr killifer to you all right if you insist that's fine <laughs> finally <laughs> well, we'll see you all in two weeks time thank god this is over <laughs>